Welcome back to another episode and season three of Closing the Loop. As has become tradition, Gigi, my friend, colleague at CT, software engineer, and prolific writer in the Bitcoin space, has joined me to get this season kicked off. In our conversation, we reflect on some of the guests and topics of season two, discuss our experiences at the Oslo Freedom Forum in Norway recently, and delve into some of the current events, developments, misunderstandings, and musings going on in Bitcoin land today. Enjoy. Gigi, welcome, my hello. friend. How are hello, you? Hello. Pretty good. How are yourself? I'm doing excellent. Thank you very much. So this is either season two closer, or no, this is season three opener. And we like to do the first episode of every season as a kind of recap of what's been going on with CT, what's been going on in the world, what's been going on with some of the guests that we've been covering and some of the experiences we've had. So you know what what it's, sticks out in your mind it's tradition now i guess you know it's now the third time we're doing it season three let's go <laughs> so let's see how long we can keep this up let's see how long it takes until hyperbitcoinization <laughs> <laughs> well i have to say i've been really enjoying uh recording the episodes i, I you know i can't speak for the listeners of course but it's what this podcast has allowed me to do is access another like group of people that perhaps I wouldn't have found on my own. And I think they're, well, we try to make sure that they're involved in the emerging trends and the things that we think are important and some of the things that we're doing at CT. And it's just been such a pleasure to connect with so many awesome people, you know, that are doing awesome work. And in particular, in recent months, um, the people and the personalities and the, the projects that are bubbling up in the human rights sphere of things, you know, because as I think I mentioned on those podcasts, it's very easy for us to forget that for some people, what Bitcoin represents and the as a tool is a necessity here and now. It's not just like, you know, stack your sats and go to your fiat job and mine Bitcoin and, and wait for hyper-Bitcoinization. In some cases, it's a matter of life and death. Like if you can't preserve your wealth, if you can't transact privately, if you can't circumvent certain capital controls you and your family starve tomorrow or you can't put a roof over your head or you have to leave your wealth behind when you're fleeing a certain situation. And uh, that point has been made far more salient to me as a result of some of these conversations. Yeah, it's it's just incredible to me how how little we know in the Western world about the situation of, uh, you know, millions if not billions of people where um, you have a, you might have a debit card, but you're not allowed to spend more than uh, 20 us dollars worth on it uh you know every every month <laughs> you have those kind of limits and those kind of uh you know rules what you can spend it on and uh like all kinds of insane things and i'm not even talking about the failing currencies yet you know like in uh on, on the african continent alone we had multiple currencies that uh you know crashed even harder <laughs> than bitcoin did now so many people they don't even when denominated in their own currencies, it's still, you know, Bitcoin is still up because the, the currency devalued so, so hard. And, um, I, you know, like we're, we're now officially in the, in the depths of a bear market, I guess, even though like that's, that's what people say. That's what I've heard. It doesn't feel like it to me, but still <laughs> Bitcoin definitely corrected a lot of the, um, you know, 
crypto, DeFi, um, uh, excuse my language, bullshit got washed out over the last couple of weeks and months. And uh, still there are many, many people in this world where Bitcoin is the safe haven because as you said, you can use it, you can access it, Every, everyone, anyone can use it. It doesn't matter, you, you don't even need an identity, you don't need a passport, you don't need a bank account, you don't need a postal address, uh, you don't need anything. You, you, just, you just need a communications channel, that's, that's all you need. And some way to generate, generate a large <laughs> random number. And most people have cell phones and it's, it's really interesting to, to put these um, populations in the spotlight. That, you know, you might have a smartphone, you might have a phone of some sort, some some access to some computation device, and you, you might have access to, uh, you know, the internet and, and those things that you might need. And But you don't have anything else. You don't have an identity. You don't have a way to even open a bank account. And uh, yeah, it's very easy to forget that Bitcoin is an existential tool for those kind of people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it is something that, again, we're so, we're so distant from having said that, you know, 2021 or 2022 rather, uh, in Canada for me was a, a fairly, you know, basically what happened in Canada in 2022 is the circumstance that a lot of people in the world, let's say for lack, you know, broadly speaking, the global South, as it's called face as a, as a matter of normal course, Whereas, you know, in Canada during the truckers convoy, if you wanted to support a group of people who you were ideologically aligned with that were peaceably assembling to, you know, criticize uh, or protest an action by the government, you could have your bank accounts completely cut off. You know, and that's just insane to think because that's how you live your life, right? Money is Mm -hmm. how we get by. It's how we pay our rent. It's how we buy food. It's how we pay for our, you know, kids' medical bills and all this kind of stuff. And to just be able to to be so susceptible to someone stepping in and be like, nope, you said the wrong thing. You gave money to the wrong people. You disagree with our dictates. You're cut off now. Your life is complete. Like, I mean, it's, and thankfully it didn't happen to me, but it happened to a lot of Canadians. And it was, can you imagine how alienating and isolating that must be? And then to your point, you know, so many people, whether it be in Africa or Southeast Asia or South America, Eastern Europe, they live under a regime like that all the time or in certain, in, in certain cases. And I mean, it's just so hard to imagine that, but also how much more would you be one grateful and thankful, but be engaging in something like Bitcoin if you're in one of those situations and you know, the, the conversation with, well, many of the conversations we had at the Oslo freedom forum, but the one with Farida in particular just kind of blew my mind in terms of, helping to appreciate the circumstance that so many people are in and how Bitcoin is a literal lifeline to a lot of those people here. And now the only tragedy is, is, you know, we see these failures and collapses starting to happen all over the world today, whether it's Sri Lanka or Ecuador, or, you know, doesn't seem like anywhere is, is, is safe from such things occurring. Uh, are enough people aware of the lifeboat, that exists in Bitcoin and are able to use it and know how to use it. And, you know, I guess part of our efforts is how quickly can it be made accessible to that, 
those sorts of people in those situations. Yeah, I, I still I still think it's mostly an an education problem, kind of. And I I think in 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 the Western world, when you, when you usually don't have these problems, you don't even know the difference between a protocol and the platform, and where you know like there are some things <laughs> it's it's very hard to to wrap your head around bitcoin and find the right metaphors but bitcoin is truly you, you can understand it like a language you know and it's like i can i can no matter what i do you can still use a language even if i you know <laughs> saw your mouth shut you can still think in the, in in this language and this languages are protocols every everyone can use it no one no one is in charge there is no one no one to ask for permission if you can use this word or speak other uh, this phrase and so on and bitcoin works exactly like that and uh, like twitter or facebook or uh, or what have you um they're very different google as well you know like amazon the, name name your big company <laughs> none of the big companies are are protocols uh, they are all platforms and that's why you can be deplatformed youtube comes to mind as well like every, every time i hear the word deplatforming i i just assume it's from youtube because <laughs> that's where most people <laughs> that's where deplatforming is the and demonetization and so on and so if someone has the power to to interfere um uh yeah like if if, if someone has the power to do this to cancel you to deplatform de you to demonetize you this power will always be used like it, it will always be used and abused and then people that, that li live under uh, these authoritarian regimes or um in just <laughs> For, for some reason, the economic systems and the banking systems and those kind of platforms are failing them. It becomes very obvious that Bitcoin is different and no one can, you know, no one can kick you out of Bitcoin. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. And they understand this difference very quickly and, and almost intuitively. Okay, uh, I, I don't even need to, you know, go to a site to sign up for an account or whatever. whatever. That's not how it works. It, it, it works differently. And so I, I really liked how, how this distinction is understood by more and more people and how it's also seeping out from the Bitcoin base layer into other areas. And we also had uh, Oscar on uh, and, and Kayvan and Oscar obviously is building fountain. And we see this with podcasting 2.0 and, and all the, uh, all the great work that is being done there where you don't need to ask for anyone's permission to launch a podcast and just put some audio out there and create a lightning wallet and no matter like you don't you don't also from the other side the people that are sending you value the people that are streaming you satoshis you don't need id from them or you don't need to know where they are you don't need to know who they are and it just works and that's the power of protocols and it's really really cool to see um like how this grows and how our understanding of it uh, grows with it totally i mean it has to be mentioned and i do mention this all the time in in my conversations but You've been one of the most vocal and articulate voices on some of these issues regarding uh, how to understand what Bitcoin is fundamentally, the language, you know, appropriate and inappropriate language to use in both conceptualizing it and communicating it, uh, the importance of protocol versus platform and the value for value model. I mean, you're like you're one of the main sources that people go to, to comprehend what all these things are and why they're so important. So first of all, you know, I, I think a certain degree of, uh, you know, kudos or praise is deserving towards you over the last six to 12 months for that effort. Um, but I guess, you know, part of the, maybe a question off about that is, uh, where do you derive your 
ability to comprehend and understand what these things are fundamentally? And also just, you know, how have you found the impact of your words have been on the broader discourse about these things? I mean, obviously I can comment in saying that a lot of people refer to your work when they're, when they now refer to these issues. And I think it's really good because, you know, the more we can understand what this thing actually is and how to engage it, I think the better we're going to do that. And the more accessible it becomes to all those people that are in situations where it's a necessity now, it's urgent. Um, but yeah, you know, what's, what's been the impact to you on, on one, how you come to these perspectives and articulate uh, this sort of framing and what's been the response? I just, I think, you know, I think um, a lot of my motivation comes from kind of a, a reaction to misunderstanding kind of, and I don't claim to have any, you know, particular <laughs> insanely good understanding as compared to many other Bitcoiners. I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the things that I write and say have been said that in Bitcoin talk forums in like 2012 and 2013. So it's just, I'm, I'm just maybe bringing it to, to the wider, <laughs> to a wider audience and to the people that are new, but these these ideas have existed for a long time, and I think we saw it also with the regulation around. Or um, we already fought the crypto wars, so the U.S. government tried to regulate uh, encryption, for example, and um, the cryptographers at the time showed how misguided this is because it's just exchange. It's it's just an exchange of messages and some math, and so. If, for example, free speech has any meaning, and if the First Amendment in the United States of America has any meaning, you can publish any encryption algorithm and send encrypted messages by publishing books and by publishing magazines and by printing it on t-shirts and so on. And that's exactly what people did. And that's how this fight was won, so to speak, because either, you know, free speech means something and the First Amendment means something or it doesn't. And Bitcoin is the same thing. And I, I, I sometimes compare it to um, the way Bitcoin works is that, that it sets up this kind of game that everyone agrees to play. And it's very much like, um, like a game of chess. You don't need physical pieces like in, in bitcoin there are no physical pieces and you don't need physical pieces to play chess you can play a, a game of correspondence chess and you can just have the, the board and the pieces in your head and you just send letters back and forth how the pieces move and everyone will know what is a valid move and what can be dismissed outright as an invalid move and so on and when the game comes to an end you will know who won and so on and if it was a good game or not and bitcoin is just like that bitcoin is just like that it's just an ongoing game that everyone plays and it's it's very competitive and it's very <laughs> multiplayer and so on but but you can definitely understand it like that. And once you understand it like that, that I, I believe that's understanding it properly because Bitcoin is taxed all the time. It's, it, it just works as money really well, but it, it's not, it's, <laughs> we're not literally, you know, we're not literally uh, pouring gold into our computers and teleporting them around. It's, it's <laughs> something else. It's a little bit different. And so if, you know, if free speech, like if we live in a society where free speech um, is uh, held in high regards and where we value free speech and take it seriously, then there is just no way to outlaw, outlaw any part of Bitcoin because every single part of Bitcoin is speech. And, and that's the main point I'm, I, I've, I've been making for a long time now. And, and not only me, like uh, this line of reasoning um, comes from uh, Beauty On, for example, and, and many other people. It's, and also even before that, you know, the, the same line of reasoning applies to mathematics and cryptography and so on. And so it's... The, the point is that Bitcoin is just very, very new, just like the internet was very, very new. And if you try to 
apply rules and regulations that were valid for letters, for example. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to use the same rules and regulations to apply them to email. And so we have to think about it just differently. And I hope that we as a society and as civilization, as humanity as a whole, can make smart decisions about that. Because I, I believe that Bitcoin um, is an insanely useful tool for absolutely everyone. And I also believe that, uh, you know, it's very much necessary. I mean, we, <laughs> we are now officially not in a recession, but, you know, let's call it a, <laughs> the beginnings of an economic downturn. And I think we can all agree. Um, I mean, Bitcoiners have been saying this for a long time now. Uh, it, it just, um, I think it's very hard to ignore now that um, a lot of the things that happened in the financial world and a lot of um, the things that are, basically related to money that are monetary in nature are really backwards and are really broken. And Bitcoin just doesn't have that. Bitcoin has a very predictable <laughs> set in stone monetary policy. It's a pure, purely voluntary system that anyone can use. And if you want to, you know, use this to your advantage or because you think it's, it's better to have an algorithmically like controlled monetary issuance schedule, for example, as opposed to central banks um, coming up with trillions out of thin air, then it, it's, it's very hard to find a moral argument against Bitcoin, basically. And so I think we, we should be smart about it. <laughs> we should be smart about it and we should um, kind of... <laughs> We should we should try to embrace the new and understand it properly, and not kind of uh, you know um, think that Bitcoin is stupid or bad or evil or throw throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, you know one of your pieces, the law, language, money, and morality of Bitcoin, brought together a lot of these concepts and a lot of different concepts from I think chapters from your forthcoming book that basically make this point, you know, and it, it, it's so interesting. And we talk about all the time how Bitcoin represents a, a fairly, in some sense, I mean, in some sense, it's very simple as you just message, it's text all the way down and, you know, informa it's just information all the way down. And <clears throat> we ascribe certain value to certain forms of information in differing amounts, depending on its utility. And that's a tale as old as time in a sense. But what Bitcoin represents in terms of how it departs from how things operate currently is very much a paradigm shift. And what we seem to be having is how Bitcoin functions and operates and what it represents coming up against how things currently function, the structure of the institutions and society and financial and monetary systems, et cetera. And that is obviously incongruent in a sense. And there's an inevitable friction there. And we seem to be in that period where there's this wrestling with how do, how do these, these two things come together? And both factions are trying to preserve what they believe to be, well, even not, not if what they believe to be right and good, because I, I think a lot of people misunderstand Bitcoin. So in some sense, you know, let's say in the traditional legacy system, well-meaning people are just trying to figure out how to preserve what they think is the proper architecture and function of the existing system and integrate this foreign alien sort of object into it without, you know, with minimal friction or in keeping with the institutional frameworks. Now, I, I think we'd probably both agree that ultimately that's not going to be possible. Bitcoin is going to assert what it represents, you know, from its how it functions to its the morality that's imbued in it and many other things onto the existing institutions. And because it's 
more resilient in the final analysis, I would say it's probably going to be the one that wins in that battle of asserting of a mutual battle of trying to assert one on the other. But it is also, you know, you know, and you bring this up in your work and many people have commented on it, that it's almost like whether we look at the realm of religious morality or whether we look at the more, you know, the less uncomfortable, the more secular instantiation in law that has gone on in the previous two, 300 years, let's say, and in particular the U.S., because I think a lot of us would agree that the U.S., constitution is probably like, you know, they, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And maybe we'd also largely agree that the institutions that have formed around that over the last, you know, 200 years, let's say, have departed from the ideals and the values and principles that are articulated in that document. And it seems to be the case that Bitcoin also represents some of the ideas and principles that are articulated in that document and it's kind of like reconverging back on it, but it has to contend with this somewhat of a perversion of a, uh, of a system that's departed from its original principles. And in, in a sense, Bitcoin is just bringing it back. And so, and I think this is why some people say like, there's nothing more American than Bitcoin, you know, because Bitcoin <laughs> represents those fundamental freedoms, those fundamental freedoms of speech and association and, property, et cetera. Uh, it's just a matter of having, well, it's not just a matter of, I think people will be forced to accept that ultimately, but it would be better if people would appreciate that in advance of them being forced to accept it so that it could be uh, integrated and made available to people and communicated to people in a less uh, tumultuous or with less friction, let's say. Yeah, but I, I have a lot of uh, empathy for the people that have a hard time understanding it because, you know, to be fair, we're still living in a world where, where Bitcoin and crypto or Bitcoin and the larger cryptocurrency ecosystem is mixed up. And especially in the minds of people, it's it's mostly mixed up. And also, um, uh, you know, the, the people that are trying to reintroduce um, platforms <laughs> into, <laughs> into, into the, the Bitcoin protocol and, and uh, you know, clones of the Bitcoin protocol. Um, they, they, I, I would say, you know, they, would, they, they, they like to use this confusion to their advantage and to their personal profit. And it is very, it is, first of all, it's not exactly easy to understand and to separate the signal from the noise and second of all also it's a it has very profound implications so i think it's just like every paradigm shift uh, um people are naturally resistant against it i think it's it's way more comfortable to stick with your existing worldview and uh, you uh, stick with that that you understand how it works and just <laughs> ignore or dismiss or laugh at uh, the the new thing the new paradigm that uh, seems to be emerging but it's a lot of the things in bitcoin are very counterintuitive so for example in terms of it seems if you if you just glance at bitcoin it seems that bitcoin is very unstable you know like it shoots up and then crashes down and it's like the price fluctuates all the time and people are talking about stable coins and that the, the value is not stable and so on but the system itself bitcoin itself is the most stable system we ever had 
in humanity period like there there is no, there is nothing else that is as stable <laughs> which which is amazing to 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 for me to be able to say that after such a short amount of time uh, after you know like 12 or 13 years of bitcoin bitcoin's existence uh that's quite something but um i i believe it to be true and um it's if you look at if you look at system stability like ignore the price just in terms of the the parameters of the system, what the system does and what you can do in the system, um, <laughs> what's more stable, like the, the fiat banking system or Bitcoin? It's like, there, there's no match, you know, there's like the, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin has operated without interruption for 12 years plus. And um, you can also, you have insanely strong guarantees that it will continue to operate just, just like it did. And you, because it's just rooted in math and physics, you can always use it. You can always flip a coin 265 times to um, a tw 256 times um, to generate a private key and to have access to the Bitcoin network. You know, like the, these these things do not go away. Just like you, for example, binary encoding. You can always use it. Doesn't matter. Like it's I can take any information and encode it in binary. This this stuff does not go go away. I can take any any sentence and translate it to English. You know, like it's, <laughs> that's what I mean with Bitcoin as a language and and so on. And so I think again for, for at, at, if you just briefly glance at it, it seems like Bitcoin is the unstable system. But once you dive in and you learn more about it and you learn more about the history of money and you learn about the history of the banking system and of central banking and uh, the fiat system, you learn about settlement layers like SWIFT and ACH and everything that makes the current banking system work and settles actually settles transactions and you learn... A, about the layers on top with, you know, um, <laughs> credit card systems and and those kind of things and uh, interbank settlement systems, it becomes apparent that Bitcoin is far superior on so many aspects. So it's just a matter of time until it will eat everything up. Just like, just like you know, the internet is a far superior uh, way to exchange information than everything that that came before it. Email is far superior than letters, and that's why you know we don't send many letters and postcards anymore. We send different things, and we use the internet mostly to store and look up information. It's because it's so so superior, and the same is true for f financial systems. Money itself, like the base layer of money, there's a reason why we use gold, and, and I mean all the bitcoiners know that. And now we have something that is far superior to gold in terms of monetary properties, because you can store it in your head and you can teleport it and it has infinite value density. Like it's <laughs> gold is very value dense. You can store a lot of value in, in, in a gold coin or in a gold bar. Like that's a, that's a lot of value, but with Bitcoin, it's literally, it can be 12 words if you want it to be, and it can be infinite. You cannot store all the Bitcoin <laughs> in, in 12 words. And so it's, uh, it, it's quite something. And once you realize this, like, Again, it's this paradigm shift. Like you, you, you can't unsee it, and you, you can't go back to the old system. And it's very much like you know, you, you don't go back to <laughs> sending letters and postcards and just uh, using the the post office for for all your communication needs. That's just it's not a smart thing to do. And uh, in terms of being counterintuitive, and that's that's something that kind of yeah uh, took me a long time to learn and understand as well is how Bitcoin. Uh, fits into the energy puzzle. And we also on the pod uh, uh, spoke a lot about how Bitcoin can help uh, accelerate the energy transition and be good for, you know, uh, I mean, one of my favorite episodes of, of the last season was, um, uh, you know, bringing, bring, bringing, the, bringing the market to the molecule <laughs> with Bob, Bob Burnett. And uh, 
Yeah, it's like I, I I had to listen to this episode twice because so many things flew over my head. <laughs> and I really had to dig in and uh, I'm still learning um, stuff about energy production and grid balancing and those kind of things. And it's amazing how, again, at, at first glance, it seems like Bitcoin is not efficient. It seems like Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. It seems like, you know, it's this weird, useless thing that eats up all the energy of the world. And that's entirely not true. You know, it's, first of all, it's very, very useful as, as we see, uh, you know, thanks to Alex Gladstein and, and those people that highlight um, the human rights aspect of good, sound money accessible to all. But also, if you understand how energy production and dissemination works, <laughs> how, how the energy grid works, like everyone who ever balanced the grid always wanted to have something like Bitcoin and now it exists. And this is just amazing. This is mind blowing how, you know, Bitcoin is actually good for <laughs> energy and energy production and energy balancing. And, you know, as, uh, as, as you said in this episode, it's like the, the goat of <laughs> like the greatest of all time when it comes to, to uh, demand response, because you, because Bitcoin mining has no memory, you can switch it on and off as, at will. And, uh, like it's the best thing to, to balance any peaks, uh, in demand or production or what have you. So yeah, it's, it's mind blowing and it's counterintuitive. And, um, I'm, that's one of the sectors I'm watching most closely currently, the, like the, the, the merging, so to speak of Bitcoin mining with the energy sector. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. And one of the things that Sean said in the podcast was, <clears throat> Which I think we all, because this, this idea that, first of all, it, it just has to be repeated that it's so often the case that if you think everything in the current, the current institutions in the world, the way the world currently functions, if you think that's all the way that it should function, then Bitcoin's probably going to, you're probably going to characterize and see Bitcoin as being the antithesis, right? It's inefficient. It's slow. It's for bad guys. It wastes energy, all these things. But if you think at least if the door is at least ajar on that perspective and you think maybe things can be improved or maybe you're even one of those, you know, somewhat uh, undesirable people that think maybe a lot of things can be improved, then I think you might start to see that Bitcoin is not actually what you read on those clickbait articles initially or what your first impression was and you end up digging deeper and you dig deeper and de deeper and deeper and this becomes the rabbit hole that we so often allude to and then you be you know you might have become one of these crazy bitcoin people that is consumed by all the different uh all the different things that bitcoin can is and might in the future affect and the implications of that and the ways in which is doing it and as you say i mean the mining and the energy aspect of this is mind-blowing and it's a rabbit hole in itself and this is why so many of us are so interested in it and why we've had people on the podcast like sean like bob people that are really uh figuring out ways to bring the market to the molecule and to 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 create a global floor for energy markets so that there's always a buyer of energy no matter where it is no matter what form it takes and how you know there's a a large there's a broad discussion about energy usage today and in what form it should take and the morality around it and all that kind of stuff and i think many of us would probably have a free market approach to say let the market determine what the most efficient use of energy is and it's likely that over the course of time of doing that will increasingly zero in or triangulate on the most efficient uses of energy. And 
at the moment, it seems likely that that's going to become something like a mix of nuclear and fossil fuels and renewables, et cetera, at least for the time being. Who knows about the future? But the point is, is to let you know free market forces determine that. But the fact that any energy source is seeming like is now going to be able to be bootstrapped because there's a buyer at any price anywhere in the world, or not at any price, I should say, but there's a it seems like Bitcoin will provide the opportunity for any energy resource to be bootstrapped by offering a price for any type of energy. We're only now beginning to appreciate the implications. And I think they're going to be massive implications as we move into the future. And one of the things that Sean said that I thought was so great was Bitcoin allows you to do, you know, a trillion or trillions or quadrillions of jobs start and stop in a millisecond. And so what that permits in terms of load balancing and in terms of how to more efficiently operate grids that need to be able to have the flexibility of starting and stopping jobs because they need to reallocate energy from one job to another. It's, you know, as you said, guys that are way more uh, well-versed and understand that aspect of things than you and I, and I know you and I have started to like try to understand how grids and all that stuff work. They, think that Sean used that term goat. He was like, oh, I've been yeah, in this space for the last right. 20, 25 years mm-hmm. and Bitcoin is the goat of demand response. I mean, I think they were, he used the term Rolls Royce in reference to how steel mills have been used in terms of uh, demand response and load balancing. And, you know, those are incredibly inefficient. Take several hours to shut down, take several hours to boot up. You only have a several hour window where you can stop production because, you know, steel hardens if you're not using energy to heat it up. And so, and that was considered to be, well, the Rolls Royce, you know, and then you have something that just, you have, it's almost inconceivable. You could have more flexibility than something that would help balance load and, and grids like Bitcoin. And so once that becomes more apparent, once, you know, that Seek once the cat gets out of the bag and, you know, energy producers, generators, grid operators all over the world come to appreciate that. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You know, a lot more people are going to be mining Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's, again, I think it, it all comes, it all boils down to education because the way that zip, that Bitcoin operates hasn't changed at all. It's just, we got more we got better at understanding it and we got better in, in using it, but <laughs> Bitcoin, basically from its inception, it's, it's still, it's still the same system. It still works in the same way. That's what I also meant before with the system stability, you know, like it's this, it's, uh, it's an incredibly stable, incredibly solid foundation, uh, that as we have seen can take a lot. Like we, <laughs> I think it was almost a year ago now when we had the, the Chinese mining exodus. And so it's, yeah. it's quite something that, uh, uh, you know, 50% of a network can just drop off the face of the earth and nothing happens basically. And so it, it, it has shown to be incredibly resilient. And I think it's also kind of understanding these kind of things. It's, it's, it's kind of a one way street. That's why I'm so incredibly optimistic. Like I, I've yet to meet a person that has understood these things deeply and the implications deeply and, and goes back to the old system, like goes back to the fiat system and just deletes all the Bitcoin wallets and sells everything and opens <laughs> five new bank accounts in five different banks and, and so on and so forth, you know? And I think the same will be true for energy as well. And um, uh, you, you mentioned two things. Like, first of all, yeah, it's, uh, it is <laughs> the goat of, of demand response. Like it's the best thing to, to balance a grid. And uh, like most people don't, do not 
no and do not care and first of all also most people should not care i think it's just like the, the grid in the best case should work like politics like you know if you have to care about it something is wrong in the first place you, sh- you just should not care it should just work and it should, should just <laughs> provide for you and, and that's it but but most people uh, do not realize that the the energy that comes out of your socket was generated it has it had to be generated just you know a millisecond ago basically <laughs> and and it always like supply and demand has to be in almost perfect balance like the, how much energy is produced and how much um uh is is, is taking off the grid so to speak like how <laughs> how much energy is consumed um by by the people and by industry and so on has to be in perfect balance and you you never have like it's it's such a hard job it's such a such a hard thing to do because you can't predict human behavior and so uh even though there are patterns but but still like uh, you don't know <laughs> what's going to happen and if everyone sh- switches on their heater or their tv or whatever and it's you need something that uh, balances these things out and and bitcoin is absolutely like bitcoin mining is absolutely perfect for that and that's just when i figured this out it blew my mind you know like it's uh, it's like uh, okay um, can this be true is it, is it really the only thing that that works like this and it is really the only thing that works works like this because every single every single asic miner it uh, as i said before like it does um trillions and trillions of of separate jobs like it's it's like rolling rolling a dice see if you won no you didn't you roll it again <laughs> and every single dice roll every single every single guess for a valid nonce uh, for a valid bitcoin block um is its own thing there is no progress bitcoin mining proof of work is progress free like that's that, that's why it's so 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 wonderful and that's why there are no shortcuts and that's why it's fair and so on and so forth and that's really something and the second thing that you mentioned is um suddenly any like it, it doesn't matter where the energy source is, you immediately have a market. You immediately can monetize it, and that's that. That used to be a big problem for a lot of stranded energy. That it it's just not economically viable to use it because, to for example, to build a hydro plant, you would uh, like for it to make economically sense. You need to build a proper plant, so you, you start to build a proper one, and it generates I don't know, like two hundred megawatts or what have you. And the thing you want to do there, <laughs> the operation you want to build, only needs like you know five megawatts or what have you. And so, what do you do with the rest? Okay, yeah, it's stranded, and you can't really build a smaller plant and what have you, and you can't really finance it. And 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 so so that that to me is insanely interesting that uh you you suddenly have you know bitcoin miners that are like okay we can put a container there and it doesn't need anything you just plug it in <laughs> and that's it and you put a little satellite dish on top and that's it that's all that, that bitcoin mining is you know it's <laughs> it's the cleanest thing you can have that that uh, uh consumes electricity and it's it's really quite something like uh, it it has changed my perspective on on all these issues massively and you all, you also spoke about the you know uh, the free market forces and i think i think it, it should be obvious to everyone who <laughs> understands at least a little bit a little something about markets the way to get more of something is to have demand for something and if we want to have if we want to have cheap and clean and affordable energy for everyone we should you know like we should lean into bitcoin mining because bitcoin mining wants exactly that bitcoin mining wants cheap energy everywhere and so mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing to me that 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 it can be so 
contradictory. You know, like the most most people that only glanced at the, these kind of things very briefly, they 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 have the 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 conclusion I just laid out. They have the opposite opinion, kind of, and it's that's that's still that's still very interesting to me. But um, again, I'm very very optimistic because there is a way to understand these things, and there is a way to explain those things, and there is also. Uh, I think, like once, once the <laughs> once the proverbial Satoshi drops, there there is no going back. Yeah, and I, you know, we we talk about this a lot, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners feel this. That well, let's just say many of us are very critical of the current state of the world, and it seems kind of like you know, call it a clown world or call it upside down realm or world. Like everything seems almost like the opposite of how it should be, and Bitcoin seems to come along, and whether it's by facilitating an understanding of the influence of the monetary or value exchange base layer on society and culture or changing a view of, you know, how energy operates or just igniting an intellectual fire in so many of us to, to in, in an attempt to contextualize the various implications of what Bitcoin represents, you end up going down a number of different roads because you require a more broad understanding of a, of a broader set of things in order to appreciate the implications of what this emerging phenomenon represents. And of course, you know, anytime you do that, but in particular when it's this intense, it's going to restructure and reframe how you see the world, what your perspective kind of generates for you. And it seems to be facilitating a perspective that uh, is helping to rectify or ground, I would assert, in a, in truth, or ground that perspective in, in, in a greater approximation of truth, let's say, and as you say, people that haven't engaged in that effort and then, you know, haven't gone down the proverbial rabbit hole, haven't attempted to, haven't shelved their criticisms or their preconceived notions sufficiently to allow that to occur, see Bitcoin almost as the opposite of what it is. And I think that's been, I mean, that's part of your writing, all the great education and podcasts in the space, hopefully some of the work that we've done on Closing the Loop over the last season in helping to like pierce that veil a bit, right? Like showing people that dig a little deeper. It's, it's not at what it first appears. In fact, it might be the very opposite of what you think it is. You think it's going to boil the oceans and burn the world. It's actually probably going to be the, the primary catalyst for the opposite, which is, you know, human flourishing and saving the earth. And, you know, slowly but surely people are coming around to that. Yeah. I think it's, I want to, I want to come back to, um, you know, like the, <laughs> the more I think about it, 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 it really, you mentioned truth and what else, like there's no, <laughs> no more stable thing than the truth. You know, if you, if you build up a construct of, of lies, it's, if, if you, if you try to fool yourself or fool others, that's not stable. And mm. so I think Bitcoin is a return to, um, a more truthful, more stable system that, that has a, 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 an inherent stability but you have to understand it in the right way you know like when, when, when people talk about bitcoin stability they, they're mostly talking about price I'm, I'm talking about something very very different like the the system stability that we spoke about and i think it's very very interesting now that we see this also uh in the investment world and where you have uh uh you know with 1031 for example um uh, it's not, not not a secret anymore that we like these guys uh, i mean our, our partnership is is public and they uh you know have a very long-term view on how to do Bitcoin and Bitcoin financing and Bitcoin businesses right. 
And it's like a multi-generational view. Some people might know this, like uh, seven generations thinking, like no, no matter what decision you make, like will still <laughs> be beneficial and it will still make sense uh, seven generations down. And I really like these kind of ideas because, uh, you know, in the move fast and break things kind of growth at every cost world that um, we see everywhere, not only in the financial system. I mean, you know, uh, arguably the <laughs> It's a, you know, <laughs> Bitcoiners often like to joke Bitcoin has been in a bull market since uh, 2009, since inception. But arguably in the in the fiat world, if you look at Wall Street, it's it's even worse, you know, like it's an artificially propped up bull market that sometimes seems like it's, it's um, you know, with the, the great financial crisis and the housing crisis and all the rest of it. And, and also now um, it seems like the party is coming to an end and uh, things are, are going to um kind of stabilize and even out again in terms of growth but of course we we <laughs> collectively so to speak <laughs> have a tool to paper over these losses and just inject liquidity in the system and so we have been in a consecutive bull market for i don't know how long now decades and it's it's really bitcoin is the the antithesis of this so it's there are no bailouts in Bitcoin, and that's, that's also what why I really like this market downturn now because a lot of the again you know I really don't like to swear on this podcast, but a lot of these <laughs> bullshit constructs that were ramped up by the DeFi and crypto people that build up uh, you know over leveraged the house of cards on on, on quicksand basically um, all of this burned down because there are mostly no bailouts <laughs> and of course bitcoin is wrapped up in this like literally like the you know bitcoin is often the backstop or the collateral for those kind of things and uh, i believe that's the, the main reason for for this downturn and uh, you know also uh <laughs> quote unquote not a recession <laughs> bitcoin is still the most liquid good and so if you're if you're in need for for liquidity you you can sell it very easily and it's to me that's that what is where Tesla. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean elon elon seems to have initiated uh the whole um you know three arrows capital and all the the defi <laughs> yield uh, burned down with his lattice hands so that's this kind of poetic justice kind of it's very funny to me but it's to me this is where the signal lies that more and more people understand that bitcoin is this long-term project and requires long-term thinking and it has this deep long-term stability and you have to think about things differently and maybe you also have to think about financing differently maybe you have to think about building out infrastructure differently maybe you have to think about you know running your business differently maybe you have to think about how to um like how to monetize uh your software for example differently how to contribute to the open source software ecosystem and and those kind of things it's it's really interesting to me that the group of people that truly deeply understands this and believes it and builds companies and funds and other things around it the number of people is only growing so there has to be some growth some truth in that you know like <laughs> in in the very beginning the chance was still high that it's like the, the only five people that are doing this are insanely deluded but there's more people from different <laughs> backgrounds uh, join this group and understand it and see it in the same way uh, I, I think you know there's something there's something there there's some there's some truth to be found so to speak Oh, hundred percent. And I want to ask you about that, but you, you know, you mentioned the term paper over the losses and, you know, the <laughs> fact that that's been enabled by, you know, money printer and the structure of the current, you know, the legacy financial system, et cetera. 
I mean, I just find that term so triggering and I'm a fairly, <laughs> you know, I'm a fairly relaxed person, as you know, but, um, and I, and I bring it up because I think that's becoming the case for more and more people. And Bitcoin is obviously helping to facilitate a greater understanding of how the financial and monetary system works. If for no other reason that it, it suggests that there's an alternative, right? Prior to the Bitcoin, prior to Bitcoin, most people just operated under the assumption that the financial system is the only works, works in the only way that it can work. And that's why it works the way that it does. And now that you have an alternative, at least you're able to compare and contrast and you're, at least you're able to say, oh, like there's an option number two, what's behind door, door number two. And, you know, of course, if you step through that door, many things become, you know, many epiphanies uh, abound. But, you know, when we say paper over losses and as you, as you referenced earlier, I mean, and I want to come back to this point, actually, because I think it's important, but the, the, the language that's used in the world we live in today, I mean, is so disingenuous. It's so intentionally misdirecting, right? It's, it's so intentionally serving a, a certain interest or an agenda or attempting to avoid something. And when you say paper over losses, like mo that won't be that. Um, and I, I know you know the difference, of course, but for a lot of people, even that people kind of nod their head and be like, yeah, it's, you know, kind of normal paper over losses, write off your, your tax losses. Like this is kind of language that's become normalized. But what that means is you're shifting the burden of the loss to someone else. It doesn't go away. You've just given it, you've just pushed it somewhere else. And almost exclusively it's to the place and the people that are least capable of bearing that burden any further, whether it's the non-asset holders, whether it's the global self, uh, South, whatever, you know, and I think more and more people are beginning to appreciate that and are beginning to be critical of, have a problem with that and both articulate their opposition to that and act in accord with that opposition, i.e. opting into another system that is Bitcoin, that is more fair where that can't be done anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I definitely agree that uh, it's, it's outrageous that this uh, phrase even exists and everyone understands it and that is it is just accepted in discourse and so on and uh yeah it's it's we're living in very weird times and uh, words get redefined all the time i mean again like I've, <laughs> i'm making the joke now for the third time that we're not in a recession because that's what the officials say you know even though yeah. every textbook definition <laughs> will tell you that we are in a recession but everyone on tv will tell you no we're not in a recession like that's <laughs> that's not our definition of a recession and so um it's it's also interesting how like speaking of getting triggered, I got really triggered uh, by the proposal of the European Union to ban unhosted wallets. And even me uttering this phrase is again triggering me because uh, <laughs> as we as we spoke before, like to generate the Bitcoin private key, like you only need to have 12 words in your head. That's it. So if you can come up with 12 uh, uh, random words in, of this word list, yeah, like you can print it out, you can cut it up, you can shuffle it, pick out 12 words. That's your Bitcoin wallet. And remember these 12 words, that's it. So by the definition of the European Union, you're now a criminal by having 12 words in your head because they want to actually ban this. And and, and this is insane. It's insanity. And the word they used, because you, you mentioned, you know, like people that come up with new definitions and new terms that have an agenda. Like it, I was mad for like a month. That's why I sent down and wrote a long article on it and so on. But someone's, like a group of people came together, sat down and really figured out the perfect term to describe self-sovereign 
Bitcoin wallets, self like wallets created by <laughs> free people to use an opt-in system voluntarily. And it's just information. So it's just 12 words. It's just a large random number. However you want to look at it. It's just a QR code, you know, like that's a self-sovereign wallet and they call it a self-hosted, uh, sorry, an, an unhosted wallet, an unhosted wallet, which means that there's something wrong with it because it should be hosted. You know, like you should be asking for permission. You should go back to a platform. You should not use a protocol. You should go back to a platform and ask us for permission. Can you have a Bitcoin wallet? Like, please, you know, please allow me to come up with five words. It's, it's so, it's so insane to me. And it's very, like, it shows very clearly that, um, it shows a couple of things very clearly. I think, I think it, it speaks volumes that in Bitcoin, we have a peaceful, completely voluntary opt-in system that doesn't even interfere with the legacy system. It doesn't. Like it's the fact that there are exchanges and 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 that you can exchange money for Bitcoin and so on, that's irrelevant to Bitcoin. It it like Bitcoin existed and worked perfectly when all of this did not exist. <laughs> and even if if Bitcoin like if, if fiat money, if all other monies um, cease to exist, Bitcoin still works and you just exchange goods and services for Bitcoin. So so the link between the fiat world and the fiat financial world and Bitcoin is completely artificial, created created by us. Bitcoin itself is a self-contained system. It's completely voluntary. It's completely opt-in. And the fact that people try to, like legislators and so on, and, and, and states and, and, and the bank people, the fiat people, let's call it, let's call it like that. <laughs> they try to pass legislation and they, they try to ban uh, you know, quote unquote, unhosted wallets. They want to ban mining, which is coming up with a random number. Um, that speaks volumes, in my opinion, because Bitcoin isn't doing anything. Bitcoin is not attacking the, the legacy system. It's just providing an option. It's providing an, an exit option. It's providing an alternative. And, and again, like that speaks volumes that the the, the alternative must not exist in uh, by by some, you know, in some people's eyes. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll go to what I wanted to ask you now because it's related to that. But we were talking before about how ultimately Bitcoin is just text, just speech. And as a result, it should be protected under one of the more fundamental rights that at least in some, perhaps primarily Western countries is enshrined in constitutions. Now, I'm not an expert in the constitutions of any country, really. Uh, I know that it's a primary one in the US. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how prominent it is in other countries, uh, probably less than it is in the U.S., but let's just say that in the U.S. it's one of the, the primary ones, and presumably this offers some protections against encroachments or regulations on things that could that are indisputably speech and text. But what do you think the implication, I mean, because software is eating the world, right? Everything is becoming information. Yes. And that seems like a trend that's only going to continue. And so is not bumping up. I mean, what are the implications of <laughs> everything becoming information and one of our most fundamental principles or precepts around how we should organize our civilization and interact with one another is that speech and information should not be impinged or encroached or impeded in any way. Uh, what do you think the implications of that are? Because despite that 
law, let's say, there are a lot of things that the modern institutions of government attempt to impede and to encroach upon. And maybe there's valid reasons for some of those, and maybe there's invalid reasons for some of those. But the punchline, and we were talking about this before we started recording, is that the technological wave that's happening in converting everything to information is going to make a lot of those attempts at regulation moot. And what does it mean when more and more stuff falls under the rubric of being de facto accepted because it's information and speech rather than material and definable under other terms? What are the implications of that? I mean, we have all these sayings in the Bitcoin world. <laughs> I think by now everyone basically knows them, not your keys, not your Bitcoin and so on and so forth. And one of them is also, you cannot ban the Bitcoin network. You can only ban yourself from the Bitcoin network. And I think that's what's going to happen in some countries. And uh, especially like I'm not very bullish on the Euro European Union when it comes to uh, Bitcoin regulation and so on. And we saw this already in New York, you know, with the bit license. Uh, so there aren't many Bitcoin companies <laughs> in New York. <laughs> it's just like if you if you are a, a, a startup or a CEO with more than two brain cells, you're not going to set up shop in one of these jurisdictions. And luckily we have multiple jurisdictions and we don't have a world government yet. So um, there's there are still ways to, um, you know, move your company and uh, like launch your business, uh, provide your service in, in other jurisdictions. On a very personal level, I think these kind of rules and regulations, it always, with every law, it comes down to enforcement. Can you actually enforce this? I can pass a law, do not think of, a, of the orange elephant in the room. <laughs> it will be very hard to enforce. And Bitcoin is like that. If you, if you just want to hold Bitcoin, again, like 12 words in your head is enough. And that's not, that's not a password to an account or anything like that. That's not how it works. It's actually, this is your Bitcoin. These are the sets by any, like <laughs> for all intents and purposes, the 12 words, that's it. And if you have a stroke, they are gone. You know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> shooting, <laughs> like losing the gold in, in, in the open sea or shooting it uh, into, into deep space. And it's very hard to kind of, stop this in any meaningful sense. And the same is true for mining. Like I mentioned before, mining is just finding a random number and you can even do it by hand. You have to be very quick, but it, it is actually possible. Just your hash rate is really low. <laughs> uh, but there are still uh, USB miners, for example, that are just like a USB stick as big as your thumb and you can plug it into any USB slot and it will start mining if, if the machine has internet and so on. And just like, I, I think it was this year or last year, someone on one of those sticks uh, found a valid block and, and got the whole block reward and all of it. So, you know, the, these things still work. They're just very inefficient, but you can, like, is this, if if I'm living in a jurisdiction that is outlawing Bitcoin mining, is this, um, is this an illegal act? Plugging a small USB device into my computer is having 12 words in my head. Does this make me a criminal? And the same is true for sending Bitcoin transactions. It's all text. I can encode it as emojis and send it to you over WhatsApp or Signal or what have you. Like, uh, am I a criminal for doing this? For sending you twenty bucks for you know to so we're even for lunch or <laughs> I don't know what. It's um, I don't know. You ask me what are the implications of all of this? I think 
I think the cat is out of the bag and I think enough people understand these kind of things very much like with strong encryption. Um, it's meaningless to, to try to stop this. So I think the, the best thing would be to try to understand it as best as you can and use it to your advantage. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there, like there's an insane amount of innovation happening on Bitcoin. I think we can all agree that a lot of the things, not only <laughs> like not Despite only the world, what you may have heard, <laughs> but we can we can all agree that uh, a lot of stuff is broken on the internet. Uh, that you know, like we have data leaks all the time. Uh, a lot of things can just work way way better. We already spoke about deplatforming and so on. It's just people being completely nuked from the face of YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or whatever have you for voicing a political opinion for, you know, nudity for, uh, you know, like showing off their <laughs> whatever, like just pick your, uh, pick your, um, uh, hobby that might not be legal in all jurisdictions. And it, I think it, I think it, it will only get worse in the sense that, um, the Overton window of what is acceptable to be said will just shrink and shrink. Uh, I think we see this already that you don't have to be very radical anymore to be labeled a radical on YouTube. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's just the, the way these, uh, these things seem to work. And so what the, the word freedom itself was targeted if you yeah. hear somebody, you know, promoting freedom, then yeah, you can yeah. classify them in this way. And, you know, here are yeah. the things to do, call your, lo your local <laughs> yeah, official yeah, or whatever. <laughs> and, and so, so what I'm definitely having an eye on is, um, basically from, from a tech, from a purely technological lens, Bitcoin uses a couple of building blocks like uh i mean we mentioned mining already so that's basically uh you know cryptographic hashes using cryptographic hashes in a in a very specific way um uh, we also mentioned you know private keys and and so on so public public key cryptography where you have asymmetric key pairs is another technology that that bitcoin uses uh, to to build up this <laughs> game that we talked about and these building blocks they can be used in ingenious ways to fix a lot of the things that are currently broken online. I'm, I'm mostly focusing now on the online world. We already spoke about energy and energy markets and grid balancing. We also spoke about sound money and sound finance and sound financing and those kind of things. But just purely on the online side of things, I think we talked about it in, uh, in, the, in the past uh, because it has been quite a while since we worked on it. But we, for example, we tried to showcase this with lightningloginlife where you can log into any website that, like it's very easy to integrate this with your lightning wallet so it's your it's your it's your bitcoin lightning wallet and because you have a private key in this wallet and it identifies you uniquely and it is persistent over time and you have an incentive not to lose it because there's money on it so if you lose your wallet you'll be poor <laughs> you can use this to log in and it works really well and so you know you scan a qr code or you you, you just click a link and open it on the, on the lightning wallet you click login and you always will have the same identity that is not linked to your real uh, world identity. It's not linked to your government identity. So you'll just have a, you know, whatever, a generated one and you'll, you'll be some name with some number or whatever. And it works really well. And this does away with passwords and this does away with, you know, leaking user data. And this does away with a lot of the things that currently just don't work really well in, 
in, in the online world. And there are many, many things like that. We obviously, we spoke a lot. Uh, again, I mentioned Oscar before from Fountain. And of course, we talked also to Roy from Breeze and so on. They, they're champion, championing this idea of fixing the monetary incentives of the online world. Like everything online is currently driven by advertisements. And so <laughs> to really... <laughs> present you with the best advertisements that the, the platform can they will learn everything about you and they will spy on you and that's why you know we, we live in this surveillance economy where youtube and google and facebook they know more about you than you know about yourself like you they definitely know more about you than uh, the spouse your spouse knows about you and it's you know you have all these obviously broken systems and we can use a lot of the things that we know and love from the Bitcoin world and Bitcoin itself to fix those. And obviously, you know, like podcasting 2.0 with Fountain and Breeze and all the rest of them. Um, that's an, again, an alternative model to the surveillance advertisement model. And you can just give value back directly and you can stream Satoshi's a fraction of a Bitcoin to support the people. And you can do this with this podcast as well. And there's a boost button. And if you like your segment very much, you can just press this. And it's a very different par paradigm. And we have to, again, I think, become familiar with it. We have to learn how to use this properly. We have to kind of we're at the very forefront of this and I, I just I can't wait to see how this um, how this will evolve in the next couple of years we already spoke to Kvan and they obviously integrated uh, this lightning login in in second use and more and more services are using this as in the Bitcoin world as the default way to authenticate yourself and with streaming sets I think we are also we're at the very beginning the whole value for value streaming Satoshi idea is it, it's it's still in its infancy like you know one and a half years ago it didn't really exist <laughs> and now it exists yeah. and and we 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 are just beginning to explore the possibilities of how you can monetize information in in a different uh, more voluntary more fair more unlimited way yeah and kudos to you and and the guys for the work you've done on some of those uh, projects that you've mentioned but and and in your writing, of course, as well. Where you before you continue, just for the record, closing the loop was the first value for value lightning enabled podcast with episode level splits in the world. So that's quite something, <laughs> 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 because we wrote the specification and helped with the implementation. And I think we we literally were the first podcast that that enabled this. That's super. That's super <laughs> cool. And again, credit to you guys for for making that happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this concept that you explore in some of your writing, I think uh, the value for value piece with the busker, you know, reintroducing kind of the idea of the busker and then, and then combining that with uh, the nature of information and how, you know, how the, the marginal cost to reproduce it is zero. It's easily co copyable and in the informational realm, information wants to be free. And so how do you, how does value relate to information that wants to be free and, and what is the proper way to attempt to ascribe value to information? Or if you're the, if you're <laughs> the genesis of the information, how do you monetize that if at all possible? And I think broadly speaking, at least as a baseline, what you do is you, you set value free, you allow value to flow as freely and as unimpeded and as frictionless as possible. And then at least you, you're able to start the process of figuring out how value and information should interact. 
Um, but the, but step one is just letting it flow. And from my perspective, that's what a lot of this, you know, lightning network, streaming sats, podcasting 2.0, uh, various other, uh, ways of streaming sats or paying for information with, with Bitcoin, um, is starting to kick off. And I think it's going to be, as you said, I mean, it's like a year or two old. And I think the development is going to be rapid owing to the fact that both value and information want to be, want to flow and want to be free respectively. And so now that they're more capable of doing that, it's just up to human action to figure out, you know, the best way to have those come together. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, lightning login and how there's an incentive to, uh, you know, keep your passwords and, and secure and not lose what is effectively, if not your online identity, but a means of interacting and accessing certain things online and doing so exclusively as yourself, because it's connected to your savings. And that's presumably the thing that you're most, uh, careful of, of managing and securing. But you also mentioned something right at the beginning of our chat here, which was uh, the infinite value density of information, which is just, we might have to spend some time on, on fleshing that one out because it's kind of mind-blowing in itself. But just to say that if, if that is the case, then does it, not, does it not seem rational or logical that almost all value, or, or let's, let's say at least all value that can be tethered or connected to the informational realm would ultimately converge on the thing that's, ca- that's, that's capable of infinite value density. It would, because I think the incentives would guide that to that. And basically what I'm suggesting is like, I think Bitcoin and private keys will, will probably end up being far more than just money. As you said, the, a, a way of representing yourself and, and accessing certain things online but if we're in this realm of pure information and value, and if we have this thing that's infinitely, that has the capacity to be infinite, in, infinitely value dense, should we not assume that all, you know, it will be the foundation for all value will converge on it in some way. <laughs> yeah, I think you know what I'm getting at. I'm doing a poor job at articulating it, but no, I'll no, throw no, it over I, to you. I, 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 I think... I think those are two separate issues, kind of. And I'll, I'll, I'll begin by maybe teasing this apart by saying that it's very, very hard to nail down where the value is in Bitcoin, so to speak, in terms of where is it stored? Because it's not really stored in the private key because, uh, you know, like you can't come up with any private key it, it, and and like the value is not in the private key itself, so to speak, and it's with Bitcoin. It's 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 so tricky to reason about it because it is it is the it lies in 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 the interaction between the private and the public information, and the public information is the public ledger that is so often cited by the crypto bros. You know, like you know, nowadays a lot of Bitcoiners uh, uh, like to call it the time chain, and I'm really pleased about that. But it's basically there is this <laughs> there is this <laughs> public publicly available information it's available to absolutely anyone like everyone can have a copy no problem the beautiful thing about this publicly available information is that it is self-consistent and you can verify 
everything yourself without any additional information. So it is public information that is, it is a very peculiar informational construct. And this only works because of proof of work. That's why every other system, proof of stake, for example, always needs private information to guarantee the validity. There are always some key holders. In, in Bitcoin, just for the public information alone, you don't have any key holders. So there's this purely public information that's available to all and everyone can verify it very easily and very cheaply. That This is actually the truth. This is what happened. This is the same information that everyone else has and so on. And if you have a public key that can modify this <laughs> publicly information, publicly available information, then it suddenly becomes valuable. And so it is like, um, the way I like to think about it is like your, your, your private key is, is obviously it is a secret and you can, you can think of it as like an, an abracadabra of sorts of like a, a, a magical phrase that you can utter and something true and something real and something magical happens in the world. And that is that something in the public ledger moves, you know, like something updates itself. And, and that's, that something is of course, you know, a, a transaction that will tell, uh, you know, I sent uh, 200 Satoshis <laughs> being very generous <laughs> to John. And so, um, it's, it's very, I, I'm mentioning all this because, uh, public private keys alone are not enough, you know, like that's only one part for, for authentication, you only need, need keys. You don't need, uh, you know, like the, the blockchain or the time chain or the public ledger or what have you. And it's in, in terms of, that's also where the, the, the value density comes from, because the, <laughs> no one like you always want to use money that has some value density. And that's true historically as well. Like if your if your money is not very value dense, it's not very useful because you want to you want to be able to move a lot of value across the distance by moving very few molecules or very very few atoms as as few as possible kind of. Otherwise it's not not very useful. You like if <laughs> if it's I don't know something <laughs> something that's not very dense like <laughs> I mean, I only come up with ridiculous examples now. <laughs> what's what's it called? Like the the sweet stuff that you eat at the carnival that's really fluffy and just cotton sugar. candy. Cotton candy, yeah, that would be terrible money because it's not very <laughs> it's not very not very value dense. And also, if it rains, like your your money <laughs> goes away. But that's I mean, gold is really good. That's also why in certain situations we see this all the time. Like uh, um, you know. Things that are value dense become money, and because Bitcoin is just information, it doesn't need any physical instantiation, and that's why it that's why it has infinite value density. Basically, like it's it, I can have twelve words in your in my head, and I can be very very poor, or I can have twelve words in my head, and I can be very very rich. There is no no difference, and it's the re I don't think it's. The reason why in the beginning I said it's, it's two different things. I, I don't think the value accrual of Bitcoin has anything to do with that, really. I think the reason why Bitcoin continues to accrue value is because it has a reliable monetary policy and it has zero terminal inflation, which makes it the hardest money that humanity has ever had. No one can, no one can mess with the monetary supply and no one can mess with the final supply. And uh, some people like to sum it up that Bitcoin is the only thing, the only money um, that cannot be stolen from you, period. Like you cannot be stolen from via inflation. You cannot be stolen from via 
vampire uh, seizure, seizure. And um, yeah, you cannot be stolen from physically. Like if, again, if you have 12 words in your head, I have to, <laughs> I have to try my best to drag you up or beat you until you will tell me these 12 words. So it, if custodied correctly, it truly is unconfiscatable. And of course, you know, in the Bitcoin protocol, there is also time locks, there's multisig, there's all kinds of tricks you could use to actually make this a, a reality uh, where, you know, like you can't even steal from yourself. <laughs> and I think the, the, the main reason, like humanity has always been in this weird situation where we have multiple monies. That was always true. Like people stored their value differently and used different things. And I think that's also how it should be. But you do these A-B tests and the, the one, like the people that use the shitty money, they will go away on their own because they, they'll be poor. They won't, they will be bankrupt. <laughs> like that's, that's just how it works. It's, it truly is natural selection. And that's why we landed on gold. No one knew about the physical properties of gold. Like we figured it out over thousands of years with A-B tests. And I think the same will be true going forward. Um, even though we now would have the capabilities of reasoning about this from first principles. And if you do this, you will realize that Bitcoin is, uh, you know, way better than gold and Bitcoin is pure information and Bitcoin in the, the, the way I, I sometimes like to phrase it is that the, the design space of money is limited and Bitcoin is pretty much perfect when it, when it comes to what the money needs to be. And very much like the design space of a wheel is limited. And once you have a round wheel, like it doesn't make a lot of sense to improve it in any meaningful sense. You know, that's why we say don't, you don't reinvent the wheel. And that's why I think we should also be saying you don't reinvent Bitcoin. It's, <laughs> it's you know, like you said, it's <laughs> software is eating the world and <laughs> gold is on the menu. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree with all that. And I we've discussed this at length on another podcast before. And I, I think trying to grapple with this idea of value and where it come from where it comes from and why we ascribe it to certain things, you you end up deep in the philosophical or metaphysical or theological realm. Because what I would say, and you know, this will be an oversimplification in the interest of time, but it seems like the humans will ascribe value to the thing that's most able to maintain its integrity or most able to maintain its truth. What is the thing that's most true and most impervious to uh, change? Now, uh, let's equalize for the other monetary properties of being able to divide and transfer them all, all in the same way. Let's just say they all have the same properties in, in that respect. The thing that's most able to maintain its truth. And part of that is having a cap on its supply. Part of that is being able to verify it. You know, all of those things that we often talk about uh, will, will seems to be the, the well where we will ascribe value to the most. And in our action of ascribing value to it, it's almost as though we're subordinating our will to it. I mean, that's part of the ascription of value and saying, I'm willing to give something of myself or something that I own up in order to access that, that form of truth, that form of, of value. And of course, I mean, again, like I said, we, we wind up in some cosmic territory when we really try to get underneath the hood of that 
the, the, the mechanism of that action and understand why. But I think broadly speaking, you know, if people are trying to understand why Bitcoin, why Bitcoin only and why it seems to be rapidly in a historical context over 13 years accruing so much value, <clears throat> I think simply put, the reason is it's the most truthful thing and it's the thing that's most capable of preserving its truth in perpetuity through time. As a result of that, we're going to use it as the thing that we ascribe most value to in order to value all other things. And, you know, that's, it's kind of simple in, in, in that regard. And to your comment on design space, I, I agree with you. The only thing I would add to that is prior to, uh, the digital realm, right. Prior to computers, let's say, the design space of let's say value <laughs> value transfer for lack of a, a better term um, or the value or the design space of money had its uh, apex in something like gold. Right. But then a new space opened up, a new realm opened up, the design space expanded and in the digital realm and a new possibilities emerged. So like, I think Bitcoin is effectively perfect money is perfect is the the best value transfer and value sequestering let's say mechanism for the the environments that we currently contend with presumably at some point in the future even newer environments will be created either by us or by AI or by the aliens or who knows and it will be interesting well, we probably won't be around to see it, but I, it's fun to speculate what the design space of value expression and sequestering sequestration is when new environments open up for. It. Of course, we're you know again total speculation, <laughs> but just to say the story of money is not over with Bitcoin, but it's probably satisfied based on the current environments that exist. It's. Something like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Someone asked me once in uh, in a podcast, like, where do you see Bitcoin in like five thousand years from now? And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> there's just no way to answer this. <laughs> but it's it's um, I don't know. I'm not sure if I agree in the sense that we have to differentiate between base money and uh, currencies or payment mechanisms on, on top and so on. And of course, like if, um, if if these ideas are new to you, you should uh, read Layered Money by, uh, that was Nick who wrote it, right? Nick Badia? Yeah, yeah. Nick Badia. Um, um, it's the best exploration of, of, of this topic by far, this book. And, and so if you just look at monies that can have physical instanti instantiation. There is nothing better than gold. And we understand this now because we know the table of the elements. We know which uh, ones are stable, which ones are solids, which ones are gases and so on. Out of all the elements, there's only one that, um, like there's one that really shines and sticks out and that is gold, you know, like silver, silver rusts, silver goes away, silver reacts with other things and so on. And so, I think, you know, there is something to be said about Knut Holm's idea of uh, viewing Bitcoin as more a uh, discovery than an invention. I'm, I'm not saying I, you know, I, I'm saying I'm agree I, I agree. I 
<laughs> I sometimes see it like this. I sometimes see it in, in another way, depending on <laughs> which foot hits the ground first in the morning, I guess. Um, but <laughs> uh, also, uh, Robert wrote a piece uh, quite a while ago with uh, on Bitcoin and the number zero. I think everyone should read it. And in it, he makes the point that a uh, very similar point that you know, like there's only one number zero. And if you understand mathematics, even, even, you know, adding, uh, uh, imaginary or complex numbers to the mix, you know, like you have, you have this mathematical space of numbers and we always thought it was only like one, two, three, four, five, and then it goes on forever. And then we discovered zero and everything changed. And then we, you know, we went negative and then, you know, it, it spans up this two dimensional space with the complex numbers and so on. And so, um, I don't think there are endless possibilities and um you know there are some people that that speculate uh again that if humanity manages to invent a game for money that can be used as money that is completely scarce it's like a one-time path dependence thing and everything else can build on top of it i'm not saying that i agree i'm just <laughs> who knows you know like the future is uncertain but i i, I think if we can if we can manage to keep bitcoin running just like it ran for over a decade now and we, if we can manage to do this for the next 100 200 300 500 years we'll be in a very good spot we'll be in a way better spot than than we are now monetarily speaking 100 percent. and i i don't i think i don't think we're saying different things actually i think we're just saying like there are always the, unknown unknowns yeah and well and maybe if each successive monetary innovation at least somewhat relies on or uses a former one, even if it's just for bootstrapping, yeah. then, then I, I think you could make a case that um, they're layered or related in that way. And, you know, maybe the, the reinvent the wheel argument is good. I mean, oh, I, I have one for the, you. Oh. I have one for you. You know how some people uh, say that Bitcoin incentivizes interstellar travel? It's because... Mm -hmm. Bitcoin has a 10 minute block time. And that means that the center of hash, like the, 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 the hash horizon is 10 minutes. So you can only do mining meaningfully in like a, mm -hmm. a, a 10 minute light cone. And so if you want to move to Alpha Centauri or some other star, you can start your own Bitcoin. You can reinvent the wheel. You can, <laughs> you can launch your own center of, of, of hash, your own set of gravity and bring it with you and, and do mining and then yeah. you'll have a separate chain. And that, that, that argument will probably only appeal to the Bitcoin dorks and everyone, everyone who doesn't <laughs> fall in that category that's listening will probably, you know, not know what we're talking about, but I, you know, it's entirely conceivable that, I mean, could you think of a stronger incentive than bootstrapping a new proof of work monetary system? And how compelling that, I mean, look at the, look at the gold rush or gold rushes throughout yeah. history. I mean, someone, what was the incentive someone for- Someone has to tell Elon, Mars is already seven <laughs> minutes away. It would make sense on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the, the point about the wheel is like the wheel was developed or perhaps primarily as a means of transporting or transportation, getting from point A to point B. Now, a rocket ship is a way of doing that in a different environment by other means that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily, I mean, maybe you got to roll the, the rocket out to the launch site, you know, so maybe it's still a part of that uh, system. Maybe that's the type of layering. Um, but the, the, the punchline is, is like what's trying to be achieved is transportation. Mm -hmm. And this, as innovation takes place and as new environments for transport, I want to go from A to B, 
you know, from Rome to Naples versus I want to go to A to B from Earth to Mars, as that environment changes, the method will, will probably change as well. And maybe that'll be the case for money. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to hit you with this now. Um, I, <laughs> I think what's interesting about the, the space of value is that it's inherently uh, um, informational. Value is information, kind of, and money definitely is information. Money always was information. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. basically if you look into the history of money and how money emerged, it did not necessarily emerge from barter, but it, uh, uh, like you can also study like gift economies for that. You, you use something else that cancels out the debt and what money does, it always cancels out the debt and it does so across trust barriers. So you don't have to trust the person you're dealing with, you just have to trust the money. And so it's always about the information and how I like to kind of speak about this is like, who owes what to whom? <laughs> That's what money represents. The, the, the information that is embedded in the money is like, who owes what to whom? And you can do this with a letter or you can do this with physical tokens. And I, I went into this in, in quite some detail in, in Bitcoin's time. Like the problem with letters is, is that they centralize and they require an absolute order. And that's why you can cheat them and you don't represent reality and so on. Tokens like gold coins, they take care of themselves, but they still represent information. It's about the information. It's not about the, the fact that the money is physical because money was not always doesn't have to be physical. It is about information. And so uh, th the reason why this is important is there are very few things that are pure information and money is one of them. And that's why Bitcoin can do money and not much else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and I think this is also why wherever, well, let's say in the realm of human consciousness, the most truthful information will always become money. The information that's most capable of of maintaining its integrity, as you say, I mean, like a, a clay tablet with Bobo's Joe, you know, five goats. Well, that can be written over. It can be recast. You know, all this kind of stuff. But the whatever mechanism, be it physical or informational or what have you, or even you know, who knows what happens in the realm of consciousness and what types of information integrity might be possible in the future. Let's say, but it seems to be the case that. Whatever is capable of transmitting the most truthful, the most stable, the highest integrity information, that will become money. Yes, highest integrity. That's that's exactly right. And the thing about gold is the physical properties they ensure that the integrity of gold stays intact. Intact. And for Bitcoin, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. The physical properties of proof of work ensure that the integrity of Bitcoin stays intact without the need of any private information. That's very important. Like it only adds publicly available, publicly verifiable information. And that's why you can take the whole time chain itself and verify everything from the ground up. And you will always be able to do that. You do, there, there are no private keys that can be lost or corrupted or whatever. That's, uh, it's, uh, it, it works differently. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's, yeah, again, like the, the loss of our physical universe uh, keep the integrity of gold and the, the, the loss of mathematics and physics, again, the loss of our universe also keep the integrity of Bitcoin. That's, that's why, you know, like, uh, I, I think that's why we Bitcoiners like it so much. It's a, it's a system that's, yeah, that, that has very high integrity and it produces a money that you can use to your advantage. And the main advantage is that no one can take it from you. Mm-hmm. Kind of a perfect segue back to uh, something I wanted to ask you about, and I know we're jumping around a, a ton here, but when you meant, when you brought up 1031 and how um, 
you know, they're taking an, a, a different approach to investing in the Bitcoin only space than your average VC or Web3 or crypto uh, VC would take. And I certainly see that as well. And, you know, I think even one of their funds is called the Low Time Preference Fund, I believe. Fund, I believe. Um, so what, what do you think it is? And all of these things that we've been discussing are wrapped up in a perspectival shift that is, seems to be occurring in a lot of people that are deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, right? These conversations about value and truth and freedom and how fundamental they are and how they, 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 they instigate a perspectival shift. How do you think that plays out in the realm of attempting to allocate capital, presumably to accrue greater value in the future? I mean, what do you think? And I'll preface this by saying some people and perhaps most people are probably just going to be content with recognizing that they're at the, you know, the bottom of the S curve for Bitcoin's adoption and that approach to accumulating accruing purchasing power is probably going to be sufficient and the, the least risky way of doing so. But obviously there's still going to be people that would like to operate further out on the risk spectrum spectrum in an attempt to accrue more purchasing power over a similar amount of time. And that will take the shape of equity investing. Um, what do you like? And I know that the uh, grant has written a little bit about their perspective in particular on this, but what do you think people in that category, which will probably be smaller in a Bitcoin denominated world, because, you know, in, in the current world, everyone is pushed far out on the risk spectrum because the money is losing value so quickly. And you need to be an investor in order to just, you know, tread water, let alone accrue purchasing power. And as a result, we have this gigantic perverse investing industry where people just try to, you know, uh, get as much fiat gains as they possibly can in the shortest amount of, amount of time, societal good kind of be damned, individual good kind of be damned, morals and principles kind of be damned. Uh, how do you think that will be different in a Bitcoin standard and the, the, the initial people that are leading the pack? How do you see them operating differently? Yeah, I think, I think we can already see it and I think it will be kind of more of the same. Um, I think, I think currently in traditional finance a lot of people conflate for example money and credit and assets and liabilities and uh you know like just the fact that you need to put your money to work <laughs> is it already shows you how broken things are um uh, money uh, money is the one thing that you should just have and that is an insurance against uncertainty and you save money for a rainy day. That's what we at least used to do. It's not really possible anymore. And that's why no one do does it because when the rainy day comes, your money will be worthless. And so you, you just don't do it. And that's why we have to put our money to work just to beat inflation alone, you know? And I mean, just look at the inflation numbers. It's insane. What you have to do now, you have to, uh, you know, like you have to invest in something that returns, uh, you know, like 10, 15, 20% more. <laughs> and people, we are so removed from money and the base reality that it represents. A lot of things are so, uh, yeah, so, so far removed from reality that, that the, the very basic facts of of financing of, of real finance uh, is lost on people and that like that 
the difference between between uh, saving and investing, for example. Like I, I really like Pierre Rochard's move of just renaming himself into Bitcoin <laughs> savings and just telling everyone over and over and over again that Bitcoin is savings, and that that's actually true. It it actually is. It, <laughs> it actually is correct. And which again, just sorry to interrupt, but it, it speaks to that oppositeness that we were referring to earlier, yeah, right? It's Most speculation at all. Yeah. sees Bitcoin as the most speculative yeah. thing there is. We yeah. see Bitcoin as the greatest yeah. savings instrument that's a, that has ever existed, the most conservative instrument that's ever existed. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's you know, like the, the, that's the real, the real tipping point is once you realize that there is no reason to ever cash out anymore because it's very much like someone in Venezuela uh, you know, going back into the failing currency, you know, like you managed to save yourself into the US dollar and now you're a, a, a multi-millionaire in Venezuelan Bolivar. And then it's like, yeah, let's cash out and let's have a party as like a multi-millionaire. Like it's completely <laughs> nonsensical. And that's basically Bitcoiners see every single fiat currency as, uh, uh, as the Bolivar. And, and then it becomes obvious Bitcoin is savings and it's about, you know, um, it's an, it's about accumulating sets. And, and I don't mean this in, in a greedy way. The way I like to think about it is, we're, again, we're back to value. We're getting back to the metaphysical questions. But just if you produce value, if you produce value, how you denominate this value is not important. Like it's, it really doesn't matter if you're being paid in euros or US dollars or in goats or in sheep or in whatever. As long as you can sell this for Bitcoin, as long as you can, you know, convert this into savings. And as long as you're living below your means and you're making more than you're spending, you will build up savings all the time. And so, uh, you know, in the best case, of course, you earn Bitcoin directly and so on. And uh, depending on your jurisdiction, you will, you know, need to spend fiat or what have you. There are very few jurisdictions where you can, uh, you know, spend Bitcoin outright, uh, especially without any legal or tax implications and those kind of things. But that's the way I look at it. That Bitcoin truly is savings. It's the best savings technology we ever had. And the rest comes down to value flows. If you produce value, you will get value back. You will earn something. <laughs> and if you live below your means, you will build up savings. And then you can weather the uncertainty of the future. And that's what savings are for. That's what money is for in the, in, in the first place. It's not only it's not only about exchange, you know, like that's only one part of it, but you can see very clearly in places where money broke down that people are very good at, you know, reverting to like a credit-based system. We saw, we saw that in Ireland when the money broke down, they, they famously wrote everything down on the back of napkins in, in the bars, you know, everyone met for beers after work and you, the exchange was happening. They had no money. And so they wrote everything down and they made some lists where, you know, you owe me this, you owe me this, this is approximately <laughs> equivalent to that. And, and it, it, it still worked. And so it's, it's, it's always interesting to me that people, it, let, 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 let me phrase it differently. I think the hardest part <laughs> is to drop, is to drop, um, the unit of account that you're so used to and that you were born with, that you grew up in. It's like removing the U S dollar from your brain. If you, if you're an American, that's really hard. If you use the, the Euro, I mean, the Euro is still very young, uh, but you know, it has been around now for, I don't know, 20 years or something. Um, and, and just not, not using this as a measurement of value. And because again, we're tricked back to the tricky metaphysical questions. How do you measure value in the first place? You can only measure it in a relative basis. 
there is no absolute measurement and uh, and like the that's just true. <laughs> it's just value is subjective. And what market prices tell you is kind of a, a, a guess at an intersubjective value. But it's still, you know, like I always like to say the, the, the market price of Bitcoin is incorrect because you're not getting my Bitcoin for this market price. So it's, mm-hmm. and, and there are many people like me. So it is a lie. <laughs> the price of Bitcoin is a lie. You've heard, you've heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wh- one of the things that I see occurring in this space. And I think it kind of relates back to how, how founders will be building companies and how investors will be investing in companies. And again, a bit of a different, um, they won't be precisely similar, but if you can imagine, and it seems to be the case with at least some Bitcoiners, you know, maybe in particular, the, the get on zero crowd is to your, to your point. I mean, once you secured your wealth and you've, you've relieved yourself of the necessity for considering that aspect of the management of your life. And, you know, for most people, financial concerns are the primary consideration, the primary source of anxiety, the primary source of stress. And it's not just if you don't have enough of it. I mean, there's a lot of rich people that are completely consumed with the concerns around their finances, whether it's, you know, getting ever more or making sure what they have is protected or managing it properly so that you can, well, one, preserve it, two, grow it, show off to your friends. I mean, there's a million things that that come up around this. And many of those, not all of them, because some of them just play on what seems to be inherent human psychology, but many of them are at least exacerbated by the characteristics of the money and the outcomes of those characteristics, i.e. what we've been discussing, you know, how you'll lose 20% of your value in the current environment, if not more in certain places, or definitely more in certain places, but in, you know, let's say the Western developed economies right now, 20% a year, if you're not actively attempting to, you know, hold back that tide or to mitigate that by pushing yourself out on the risk spectrum. And then of course you get this, you know, universe of, of, paper claims on things that are, that are these house of cards attempts mm-hmm. to, you know, manage that risk. And of course it makes the, the whole system more susceptible to failure. But the punchline being that for a person that's able to save and transact in a type of money that Bitcoin seems to represent, then you can, you can alleviate yourself of the anxiety of managing that. You can just say, to you and do what you just said. You say, now my only task is to determine how I can or want to create the great, the most value. And that'll be my singular focus. And I don't have to worry as much about managing my wealth. I don't have to worry as much about an intermediary <laughs> cutting me off from it. I just get to focus on value creation, value expression, and refining myself such that I'm more capable of doing that over time. And one, that's just beautiful in my opinion. But two, I think that will result in lower time preference endeavors, be they artistic works, be they companies, et cetera. People will be more focused on quality. They'll be more focused on those fundamental questions around value and how they can be transmuted into work out in the intersubjective world. And, you know, this is, this is part of the case that's often made by Bitcoiners when they dream up, you know, what a low time preference future might look like. And which is why we get, you know, rather strong opinions on architecture and art (laughs) and music and all that stuff in the fiat world versus the Bitcoin world. 
you know, and, and, and maybe in some cases those are exa- exaggerated because there's always going to be the Id- idiosyncrasies related to a variety of preferences. But I think, uh, generally speaking or broadly speaking, we will, as a result of that increased focus on value and meaning and that diminished necessity to focus on and the associated anxiety of simply focus on preserving what you have, I think we're going to see greater works, broadly speaking. And that's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, it's exciting indeed. And I, I would urge everyone to read Alan Farrington's and Big Al's uh, uh, magnum opus, <laughs> so to speak, of Only the Strong Survive, which is basically a thesis that was written, I don't know, over a year ago now. It was definitely before the big uh, crypto and DeFi yield meltdown uh, that currently brought down the markets. And the, the reason why I'm mentioning this is it lays out very, very clearly what the difference is between sound money and sound financing and unsound money and unsound financing, where it is this construct that you described that is very fragile and very over leveraged. And there is just all the uncertainty is just pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And then if something starts to break, everything falls apart. And if we look at historically, if we look at the times of the gold standard, and um, we did not have these systemic problems. If you, if you, if you ran a business that was not profitable, then you just, (laughs) you went bankrupt. That's it. We had no systemic collapse because of it. And I think a return to a sound money standard, a return to a Bitcoin standard will, will bring back such stability and security. And with this, and I think we see this already to your point, we see this already in the Bitcoin world. And we see this emerging now that people that adopted Bitcoin as their money, they experience this security and stability firsthand. And I mean, I mean this again in the, in the sense of system stability. I know that Bitcoin will be here for me just like it is today in 10 years from now. I can't say the same thing about my bank or what have you, you know, like even my jurisdiction or <laughs> like it's, we're living in very uncertain times and Bitcoin is deep stability and deep certainty in, in, in these times. And that once you have that, you can focus on whatever you think you're good at. And you can single-mindedly focus on that because suddenly you don't have to be a real estate agent on the side. You don't have to be an investment expert on the side. You don't have to play the S&P 500 on the side. You don't have to keep an eye on every stock under the sun and so on. You don't have to put your money to work. Like that's not what money should do. Money should just be money. And Bitcoin is just that. And so my only worry is that what we kind of see happening currently or what we saw happening now with the collapse of the of the yield and defi bubble in the in the crypto sphere the financial system the traditional financial system is the structure of it is not that different that's why again i think everyone should read alan franklin's work he also uh i think he he put the whole thing into a book as well bitcoin is venice is um his collected works but in particular only the strong survive it's such a good read because it really nails down from a from the perspective of a financial of, of of two financial experts both of them are financial experts and really know how to allocate capital and really know um <laughs> markets and the difference between <laughs> you know <laughs> 
money and credit and <laughs> like the difference between real yield and fake yield, <laughs> for example. Um, it it is it is kind of scary that over the last couple of decades we propped up the worldwide financial system to such a degree, and um, it's. I don't think it will unwind as quickly as it will as it has in in the cryptosphere, but I I still believe that it kind of will unwind over the next couple of years, maybe decades, and um, that's why a lot of people say Bitcoin is a lifeboat, uh, which I believe too. You know, like if if you know how to use Bitcoin properly and if you understand it properly, you can absolutely insulate yourself from outside traditional financial market events and. Uh, yeah, again, it, it all it all comes back to the way the system operates and the fact that it is truly your asset. It is truly it's inalienable property rights, as I uh, called it in in uh, one of my writings. Like if you if if you know what you're doing, Bitcoin will always be there for you, and that's quite a value proposition, if you ask me. To say the least, you know, and it's. Again, we we always wind up in in the the deeper territory here, but I, I think it's so fascinating that when you have the possibility to engage in something, well, uh, what we've been discussing, something that's such a so stable, something that's such a incorruptible form of truth, or let's say the most incorruptible form of truth, that doing so is the thing which grants you that degree of freedom that you just referred to. You know, it, it's poetic or it's fundamental or it's metaphysical, whatever you want to say about it. But it, it's, it's such a, it's just so fascinating that that's the relationship or seemingly a relationship between truth and freedom there. And I also think, you know, again, to put it simply, when you're able to alleviate your, you know, your consciousness, your, you know, what, 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 uh, populates your mind on any given day with these concerns and the related concerns, which are many, you know, related to, again, you know, finances and what's happening in your economy and your culture and the political situation and all that kind of stuff. When you can insulate yourself from them with this tool, when you can push them to the periphery so much, I mean, what happens? And I, I again, that's probably a, a big question with a big answer, but I think simply put, a type of clarity dawns. You're able to remove from your consciousness the things that are interrupting uh, seeing with calmness and clarity. And what happens when you remove all those things, all that noise, what is the primary signal, right? What is a calm, clear consciousness absent so much of the noise that we're exposed to through modernity and the considerations of daily life and all the associated anxiety and stressors of being involved in a, in a system like the one we've been describing, like the current one that, that predominates in the world today. What is a, a clear, calm, focused mind? And one, I think many of us are figuring that out. We're starting to appreciate what that actually means and what kind of perspectives it generates and what kind of activities it leads to and what kind of values emerge and what kind of value we, how it changes, how we ascribe value to things. I think we're all learning that, but you know, again, broadly speaking, and maybe I'm taking a little bit of license here, but I think when you remove the artificial, when you remove the, all those anxieties, what you're left with is also a form of truth. 
what is the truth of a calm, what, what do we call a calm, clear mind? And I know that like there's a subjective definition involved there, but again, it, it's, it seems poetic once again to me that this thing that is, let's say, maximally the most truthful thing in the intersubjective or the exterior or the phenomenal or the physical world is instilling a, a like form of truth in the internal world. And that seems to be having many uh, unique and interesting and profound implications on the lives and the consciousness of individuals, particularly those who are, well, wrapped up in this and, and deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And it, it will be very interesting to um, explore this in the next couple of years, how it changes, expands, uh, transforms. Uh, you're obviously on the, on the forefront of uh, uh, talking to all the people that went through this particular transformation where Bitcoin, I believe it's mostly because of this, uh, long-term security and stability that it uh, seems to be able to provide. And also uh, the fact, again, that you don't need to uh, ask anyone's permission to use it. So you're completely self-sovereign. It, it really does transform you. It, it, like once you, once you understand this deeply, then it's very easy to opt out of other things as well, I believe. But I think it speaks also to something that uh, uh, we mentioned <laughs> a, a lot in the in the past and also in this conversation the freedom that bitcoin brings and i i see this only um expanding and i i think uh um i mean obviously we were at the at the oslo freedom forum and uh ct uh, hosted the financial freedom track there and bitcoin was front and center there and uh, again shout out to alex gladstein of bringing all the bitcoiners and freedom fighters together it, it was an amazing event and it you know, like this wasn't the last one and the involvement of Bitcoin with the freedom loving community, this, I think it will only increase. And we also spoke about the, the, the global South, you know, and how they discover Bitcoin, uh, for themselves. And, uh, yeah, you spoke to many people now in, in the second season that, you know, are building financial constructs around Bitcoin and offering Bitcoin services and are using Bitcoin, uh, um, in various different ways and this will also like this will only increase and i think we also have to be cognizant about the fact that um you know it's it's always yin and yang <laughs> it's not it's not it's not one-sided because to make use of bitcoin's freedom you also have to shoulder the responsibility of educating yourself of using it properly of holding your own keys like if you if you externalize this responsibility to a trusted third party, you lose the properties that made, make Bitcoin great in the first place. And so we really need to kind of, we, we need to do this right, I believe, you know, like building, it is, it is possible to build the same faulty financial system that we have on top of our faulty money on Bitcoin. And if we do that, then Bitcoin will become faulty money again. It will be captured just like gold, for example, you know, like gold is still very, the only problem with gold is that it concentrates in space and you can't teleport it, which is a big problem in an informational world, but still in, you know, in the physical space, gold is very good money. And even before the information revolution, gold failed. <laughs> so that tells you something, you know, that, that tells you about something about the, the, the fallibility of, of humans and human institutions and so on. And so I think we, we, we have to, you know, shoulder the responsibility of 
building the tools in the right way. That's why I love Breeze so much, for example, and, and everything that Roy is doing, because uh, they know this very, very deeply. And it is, uh, it is, I think this is like something like that is the right approach where you make sure that the user always remains self-sovereign. You make sure that uh, the user is in control, that the, the user is not locked in by a platform. The user cannot be deplatformed or stolen from and, and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, again, the, 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 uh, the second side of this freedom, like there is no free lunch, for example, we all know this saying, but, but no one really means it anymore. But in Bitcoin, this is true, you know, like again, to, to secure and ensure the integrity of the publicly available information, Bitcoin, you need proof of work. There is no other way. There is also, you know, there are many problems to proof of work solves, randomness, timing, but especially integrity of the publicly available information without any secret information, you absolutely need proof of work for that. And so we, we, we need to, you know, like we, we, I think we need to hold ourselves to very high high standards and then i agree then you know all the beneficial side effects they kind of come by default you know <laughs> like if you do if you do things right <laughs> if you have very high integrity if you're acting truthfully in the in the world like you know the good things will come come to you by default kind of <laughs> yeah i mean you know i guess <laughs> no I, I i'm laughing because i agree so much and you know i'm also laughing because i i see in you such an exemplar of that philosophy um but i also see in a lot of bitcoiners that you know that is kind of the process like they're they're trying to learn about this thing and then they reflect back upon themselves and then they realize oh i I need to do this, or I should change this, or I'm looking at this a different way, or I was looking at this a wrong way. And it's just this, this constant back and forth between engaging this thing, understanding it, using it, taking more responsibility, determining what you should be taking responsibility for, revaluing so many different things in your life. What is it I want to be striving for? What does wealth mean to me? What is progress? Who do I ultimately, who do I want to become? You know, again, we started this conversation talking about magic internet money and it winds up in what kind of life do I want and who do I want to become land, you know? And it's just, uh, it's, it's endlessly, endlessly fascinating the in-between of those two ends that is taking place, yeah. you know, but I absolutely agree that there is no freedom without responsibility and, uh, you know, freedom without responsibility. I, I mentioned this to someone on Twitter today, or I made a comment that because some, because Svetsky was said, you know, you got to include responsibility and freedom. And my response was that I do implicitly include it, but in, in the day and age that we're in today, where I think a lot of people tend to, uh, rather than taking response, rather than defining freedom for themselves and then taking the requisite responsibility, they simply align their preferences with the dependencies that they've either established or been granted or, or came up within, um, and then, and, and, and sorry, and then recognizing or, and then failing to recognize that those preferences themselves have been largely inculcated or instilled in them through, you know, um, perhaps a, um, well, the cultural paradigm that has maybe been insufficiently scrutinized, you know, so that the, the preferences are basically artificial and then the dependencies are, um, they're, they're more difficult to perceive because you presume that the dependencies are things that you actually want. And so a bit of a convoluted way of just agreeing that I think um, considering these things and talking about them and, and, and contemplating on them further and then determining the best way to establish both and then to 
conform yourself or to transform yourself into the type of individual that's capable of taking those responsibilities such that you may access an even greater form of freedom. And again, you know, this will, this will be the last I say on the subject, but I, I do see that happening broadly amongst a lot of Bitcoiners that there is this transformation taking place where they're ascending to a version of themselves that's capable of, of taking greater responsibility for a variety of reasons, but that seems to be the punchline. And, um, it's wonderful to see. I mean, if, if we're talking about how we're going to improve uh, the circumstance that we face in the world, and no matter what political end of the spectrum you come on, you know, at least most people have some form of critique about how the world currently functions. <laughs> that seems to be one of the primary ways of ameliorating it. Yeah, that's that's right. I think we can all agree that not everything is perfect. <laughs> I think that's a fair <laughs> statement. No, but I, I I do believe that it's very interesting to see that we we uh, you know like we 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 set out this whole project uh, to to talk with the movers and shakers in the Bitcoin world and also in the energy world because uh, we obviously uh, believe that those two worlds are currently merging. And I think it's great to see that a lot of the entrepreneurs that we spoke with, they are not just, you know, creating a company to flip it uh, three years later and sell it to the highest bidder and whatever, like that's because that's the default in the VC startup world, you know, like you, you, <laughs> you create a startup, you fail, you create the next one and you flip it for 2 million and you create the next one, you flip it to 10 million. And then, uh, I don't know when, what, when, when do you stop? But then <laughs> there's some millions and then you're a serial entrepreneur and uh, you made it and you have a yacht or, or what have you. And in, in Bitcoin, I feel like, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of seeing the opposite again. It's, um, uh, and I, I mean, Bitcoin only specifically you know where people are like you know it's you talk to them and it's like okay i i don't have an exit strategy i hope it's the last job i will ever do and that I, i'm building this you know for my future grandchildren basically yeah. my <laughs> and, life's work yeah basically. exactly that's what you hear a lot yeah, yeah. and that's and, and and that's very like very refreshing to see but it's the longer I'm very close to Bitcoin, the less surprising it is to me as well. And again, I think it comes all back to to this, yeah, very very deep stability that that Bitcoin brings with it. And and once you understand it properly, you you know that you can like it's kind of a cheat code, you know, you know what's going to happen in the future <laughs> a couple of years and decades down the road because you you kind of know that Bitcoin will still be there. You you can still rely on that, and it's. In in today's day and climate, it's very hard to say this in, especially in some jurisdictions, like depending on where you are, it, it's very hard to plan for the next 10, 15, 20 years out. But in cyberspace, you can definitely do it if you're building on Bitcoin. And that's that's quite something I hope we will continue to have uh, these conversations with the people that are actually uh, building and, and doing the hard work. Totally. And speaking of those people and a, a point you made you know, a few minutes ago, it seems to me that the best approach, whether you're building a company and then, or whether you're engaged in what'll be the subject of my last question for you, but is leveraging to the extent possible, the attributes and the benefits that Bitcoin provides, right? Cause as you say, I mean, if, if we just wind up in a world where, where it's all ETF exposure held by custodians, you know, all this kind of stuff, maybe it survives, maybe it doesn't, maybe it gets captured, you know, like it's not a scenario that's going to be the best outcome for everyone. Bitcoin represents tremendously unique and positive and beneficial and valuable potentials. And I, I think 
and largely they do do this. I'm not criticizing a lot of the entrepreneurs in the space, but I think that's the way to go. It's like build the tools that this thing allows for the greatest degree of both freedom and responsibility. Cause it's inevitable that there's going to be cut corners, you know, cause people are going to say, well, grandma's not going to take control of her keys. So like, let's launch the ETF. We'll get a bunch of liquidity, <laughs> pump our bags and grandma can get exposure. <laughs> I wouldn't but how be many so corners- sure about that, by the way, you know, like <laughs> grandma went wouldn't through, be so sure about what? grandma went through a lot of shit probably. <laughs> she probably has a, a, a bunch of cash under her mattress. <laughs> right. Right. But fair enough. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like how many, how many corners do we cut till we wind yeah. up in a place where, as you say, we, we might just recreate or partially recreate the thing, the very thing that we're so critical of and attempting to, to replace. And so I think that should be a guiding, um, viewpoint or philosophy for creators in, in the space is that this thing provides a certain degree, a high degree of freedom, an unprecedented degree of freedom. And the goal should not necessarily to just get it in as many or allow as many people as possible mm-hmm. to get the uh, exposure as quickly as possible, but really uh, use this thing to its full potential. And if that means slower growth, if that means a longer educational period, then so be it. Because the, the, what the, the alternative might be shooting ourselves shooting the project in its foot in a certain sense. Yeah. And I, um, I think it's kind of funny that I think most Bitcoiners, I guess, would agree that there is a Bitcoin way of doing things, but it's not necessarily easy to articulate what, what exactly mm. this means. But, <laughs> you know, I, I mention this sometimes and I always get a lot of knots and so on. <laughs> and so on. And it's, it's, it's also, it's also, um, it's kind of the whole cryptocurrency space so to speak is a blessing in disguise in in a way because um all the people that are like it 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 becomes more obvious by the day that that the whole cryptosphere is just rebuilding everything that's wrong with the current financial system (laughs) on top of quicksand and on steroids you know, or on methamphetamines. <laughs> Without any regulations yeah. to extend that those and help slow catastrophe. So it's, kind of, in it's, any a, case. it's the worst of both worlds. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really bad. And so, so the, the, um, the reason why I'm saying it's a, it's a blessing in disguise because it, it, the, the, the split between Bitcoin and crypto becomes wider by the day kind of, and, uh, more apparent, more well defined, and more well articulated as well. And the the way I I see it is that the the Austrian economists kind of figured out they they spoke a lot about the issuance and control of money, and that the root of all monetary evil is the the the, the government intervention when it comes to those things. And so what Bitcoin represents is like it removes all the humans from the equation when it comes to the issuance and and the, the control of the flows of money. And so it is like this immaculate conception of a thing that just exists. And if you use it as money, no one can control it. No one can print more of it. No one can censor you. No one can control the monetary flows. And so Bitcoin's answer to the moral question of who can print and control the money is no one, basically. You know, I mean, it's no one or everyone, how, however you want to look at it, but it's <laughs> for all intents and purposes, it's no one. And the, the crypto answer to the same question is 
absolutely everyone and you see this with the phenomenon of of nfts for example everyone like anyone is free to print their own money and use it for whatever purpose and so on and so so nfts are a shitcoin with an issuance of one and so you know you can mint yourself a million nfts and then you printed you printed a million new monies into existence and and that's perfectly fine and you know every single project has like a shitcoin token attached to it and you can like you everyone prints their own money and that's perfectly fine and of course if you understand anything about uh, sailor mix and michael sailor makes this point all the time and alan franken as well um there's a difference between you know <laughs> like there's something that's called the howie test and something that defines security and there's a reason why we have laws around this and so on and so this this split kind of becomes more and more apparent as as time goes on and i think it's a very it's it's a very moral question that is at the root of it who should be able to print and control the money and in bitcoin bitcoin acts like a natural law it's like you know who should make the sunrise no one it's like it's a natural law the sun goes up and with bitcoin it's the same it's a natural thing new block comes in no one can print more bitcoin no one can control stations and the flow of money and, and and so on and in crypto we have we just have historically seen like that's not true at all like the the people that are behind the crypto projects pick your poison you know like pick whatever <laughs> three letter crypto shitcoin you want they the people the two three five people that are behind it they are printing the money they are controlling the flows they can reverse transactions and have in the past and they can roll back uh you know <laughs> things and, and and so on and so forth and so um to me it's again i'm very very hopeful that um the right people are already in bitcoin and the right people with the right mindset and the right moral values and the the right kind of mission to to fix the money <laughs> once and for all um uh, that they are uh, flocking towards the bitcoin only space and they are not wasting time uh, with all these distractions and you know that's also what came to mind when you talked about like what is a clear mind and what popped into my head is like something that is devoid of all distractions and so basically mm-hmm. you know here in this in this space if you want to have a clear mind you have to focus on bitcoin only there is no other way yeah you know this is why all the memes around bitcoin zen and that kind of stuff have percolated over the years because that that's the type of alludes to the type of state that for some it induces. And, you know, you, you could broadly say with all this crypto bullshit that, you know, is it more true than Bitcoin? Is it able to maintain its truth more so than Bitcoin? No? Okay, well, it's not going to not gonna be Bitcoin. You know, using the framing that we we have used a little bit in this discussion. Um, and I, you know, I made the comment a few minutes ago that the crypto stuff was, you know, and as to you, recreating the old system, but absent, you know, the regulation to at least somewhat soften or slow the the degradation or the blow. And that may be the case, but I kind of take that back because ultimately I still am a free market maxi. Like I, because absent the individual agency to make these choices, you don't get the, the market, the informational, or even the moral, the, the capacity to learn the moral lessons. So I don't think there should be a moral arbiter necessarily here. And I don't think they're, you know, uh, the, the whole SEC stuff with, you know, how we test security stuff has popped off. And maybe some people are enthusiastic about shitcoins being, you know, brought under the SEC jurisdiction or something like that. I'm, I'm generally, I think it's the best to let the market sort these things out so that people can learn the maximal amount from the decisions that they make back to that conversation about responsibility. You make the wrong choice. Well, 
then you assess why and you you can understand what kind of market-based or you know uh informational learning is to be derived from that but you inevitably also because most actions are imbued with a type of morality or most relationships uh contain a type a moral domain a moral dimension then you you're also able to uh gain greater feedback and for the construction of a greater moral understanding or wisdom over time as well and the more we outsource decisions the more we relieve people or take their agency away and i think in the fiat era that we're currently in many things are delegated from the individual to some form of authority be it academic or political or or financial or what have you the more that's done the less it 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 um What's the word I'm looking for? It it uh, stifles our own development on a variety of domains because we don't have the agency to make decisions and bear the consequences and learn from them. So all that just to say, I I'm not saying I want regulation in this space, even though that might be controversial for some, because I think we need to let the water find its own level. And if mm. people need to make mistakes, I'm fine with that. It's also a very US centric view, kind of, you know, it's uh, even though, of course, what the SEC does has uh, larger implications, but still, you know, there are many jurisdictions where just, <laughs> you know, whatever Gary Gensler says doesn't have right. a lot of impact. And there are a lot of shitcoin casinos outside of US jurisdictions and so on. But uh, still, I think that's also, I, I mentioned the book, The Ethics of Money Production, all the time. It's it really opened my eyes to this issue and also to to the issue of money production itself. It, money production is very very different than everything else. You know, like you're not <laughs> you're not providing a, a good or service to the market for money. You're providing money itself, <laughs> inflating the money supply in the process. And uh, the the main thesis of the book it, itself is like remove all intervention regulation and and all these laws to force you a certain kind of money and let the people figure it out. And we mentioned already in the, in the past, you know, this AB test that went on for thousands of years and then we landed on gold naturally. And uh, the mm. same thing will happen again if, if, if we do this. And again, I think you can make certain, like you can reason about this from first principles as well. But uh, I agree, like people, the, <laughs> the shit coins that people burned their fingers on in like, you know, 2015, they're not even around anymore, you know, like, you know, no one even knows that they exist. And so we just go through these cycles where um, uh, people mostly come in because of greed. And I think that's perfectly fine or because they want to gamble or they see, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin like a stock or, or what have you. And, you know, then there's like uh, <laughs> thousands of different coins or, or whatever. Uh, it's just in vogue currently it used to be the icos now it is the nfts it always is this like <laughs> three letter acronyms and yeah then uh, like you said you know like uh, uh, we 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 have to learn everyone who burns their, their fingers has to learn that i you know like i'm I'm not excluding myself. <laughs> I, Me neither. <laughs> I had a, I had a lot, a lot to learn. And like some people like to say, you know, like pain is information, and uh, then you will figure it out. And uh, a couple of years later, you will revisit your past actions, and you will see, um, yeah, that there is one thing. Even just looking at the charts, just looking at the mar markets, there's one thing that is different, and that is Bitcoin. There's only there's only, uh, there, out of all the, I don't know how, how many are even listed now, like 
47,000 shitcoins, something yeah, like something that. <laughs> There's only one single shitcoin that made more than one high against Bitcoin. You know, like they, they usually go up against Bitcoin a little bit and then the founders rock pull and drop and then it, it never comes back. There's only one coin that came back and it's for the same reason why we had the market like the liquidation cascade, uh, probably. And it's Dogecoin and it's because Elon Musk shielded it on Saturday Night, Night Live. And so I still, <laughs> I still, you know, like I, I will hold him accountable. If I ever meet him, I will <laughs> tell him in a nice way that well, this was not a moral say? thing to What would you say, Elon? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make something up on the spot. I don't, I don't know yet, but I'll, I'll come up with something um, good, I promise. Uh, all right, last one, because I know you've got lots of stuff to do, but you know, we were, we mentioned that we were in, um, Norway in May, June recently. Um, and we, it was a wonderful time and we got to meet a lot of uh, activists there. I think it's incredible that Alex has inserted Bitcoin into this, uh, I don't know, group of people, industry, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that at least they're getting exposure to these ideas, these tools, you know, these philosophies. Um, and, you know, we had the opportunity to hang out with a lot of them, have dinners, sauna sessions, you know, and, and one that was particularly, you know, interesting that I'll remember fondly for, I can, this is all public or not public, but it isn't, I can discuss this, yeah, right? Course. You don't have an right. issue. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were, we were in, in Norway and we were in a sauna and it was you and I and Leopoldo Lopez, who, um, who listeners will be familiar with by the time they listen to this podcast, because it was the last episode. Um, Udi, <laughs> the, the, oh that, shit not that, Udi. That, Obi. <laughs> that, that, uh, I, I, I hope Obi. someone will clip this <laughs> Obi and Troy and Nick I believe it was and uh, anyways the, 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 the punchline the reason why I bring it up is one it was just a super intense environment I think I accidentally threw way too much water on the steam thing and we all like burned our skin off and while this was going on um you know, particularly you and Obi uh, and others, others of us chiming in intermittently, were really trying to explain to Leopoldo, you know, basically what Bitcoin was all about, why it's different, why it's not the same as all of this crypto stuff that we were just referring to. And I found that in my conversations with other activists, other people that are, you know, in politics and such uh, over the course of that week, it seems to be the case that oftentimes there's this assumption that uh, the thing we need to do is get the good people like us in power. And the problem we have today is the bad people like those guys over there instill, you know, <laughs> inject whatever dictator you dislike or polit po political individual you dislike. The problem is that they are at the reins of power. And, you know, what we need to do is just get the good guys or us in the reins of power. And, a lot of these people are lovely people. They're incredibly altruistic. You know, they're admirable and respectable in many different domains. But I think they fail to appreciate how the system itself that people become embedded in is not only corrupt, but it's also corrupting. And that it may even be able to corrupt you without your awareness of it. You might think that you're doing good. You might think that allocating capital to 
fill in the blank cause that you think is important within your economy or your country or what have you uh, is the right way, is the good and moral thing to do. But you may not be able to perceive that the outcome is capital destruction from misallocation of capital, which makes the situation that you're attempting to improve worse. And I think part of the, we were discussing this a little bit before we started recording, but and many people in the Bitcoin space will be familiar with the sovereign individual. And I won't get into a lengthy summary of that book, but just to say that it puts forward the argument that there's a certain technological determinism to how politics takes shape, how human governance and human interaction takes shape. And again, as we've been discussing in this conversation, as so many things move into the informational realm, where things are easier to make private, where they're easier to, to transport, where they're easier to integrate and, and, uh, and engage in and, and, and establish freedom. What are the implications of that coming to the political governance financial realm? Uh, and this is just a long way of asking you what you think of how politicians and activists. Well, I, I know part of the answer to this cause I was on some of the conversations, but do you think if you're that way inclined and I think, you know, my own little personal uh, aside here, I think people should really give consideration to why it is they want to be involved in those endeavors. Cause I think uh, the status and the power and all that kind of stuff associated with that type of occupation or endeavor is probably going to change as we move into a technological landscape, which is going to inhibit the capacity for those structures to be so influential or as influential as they have been over the last 50 to hundred years. And so if you're a well-meaning activist or politician in the world today and you end up being successful in garnering support and people wanting you to represent them, is it counterproductive not to understand the ways in which these emerging technologies are going to influence governance and align your, um, your activities, your initiatives with those emerging technologies and what they are likely to inhibit or pro, uh, <laughs> admit or prohibit in terms of human governance and interaction. Um, long, long-winded, poorly worded question, but I think you know where I'm going with that. So how do you think these, these people should be thinking about this kind of stuff? And, and how was, what was your impression of how they are thinking about it to the extent that you had those conversations in Norway? I think, um, I think there's a lot of truth in what you said that, um, in regards to having the urge of just putting the right people into the right spots <laughs> in power, so to speak. And, um, it's, I think, you know, there's something to be said about the founding fathers of the U S they really thought this through and set up a system that is really well balanced and where people actually have to step down again and so on. <laughs> and, and, um, I think that's, that's something to strive for in general, uh, in regards to the technological question, it's again, I, I, I keep coming back to the, to the crypto wars where, um, strong cryptography, um, encryption in particular was viewed as something that is military great and, uh, you know, like no civilian should ever have access to, but it's just math. So, you know, like 
you you can't really do anything about it the, the, once the cat is out of the bag and people know how to do this people will use it and the implication is for example if you use just encryption in the physical world we don't have any safe where you can put something in and you cannot open it again that it does not exist you will always be able to break it open again with enough force and in in the informational realm if you use strong cryptography that's just not true like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much force you use there are like there are ways to encrypt something only the the correct key will decrypt it it doesn't matter if like even if you build a dyson sphere about uh, our sun and uh, you know it will <laughs> take until the star explodes you will still not be able to to guess the right password so to speak and that's quite something that's quite a change and i think I think our systems and our politics and our worldview has to change, like it has to update itself with this new information. And we're still in the process of that. And I think though we managed to, we, we, we wrestled with kind of similar questions in the past and you mentioned it in, in this conversation that we like the, 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 the main cornerstone of our civilization is that speech is holy so to speak you know like we should not stifle speech we need it to error correct we need it to correct course we need if you cannot talk about something you cannot fix it and you need the the information to flow freely so to speak and i think that's a similar it's a question of similar magnitude that uh you know that <laughs> i'm not sure what the right answer is in terms of of, of um you know like the the informational world that we are moving towards and how to best set up systems to deal with this these new realities but i i always liked the I'm, i mean it's a very old very straightforward uh, philosophical argument if you if you could set up a society like how would you how would you set it up um the only condition is like you can set up the society any way you want and the only trick of the whole thought experiment is um you cannot choose how you will be born into this society so you you, you know you might be a disabled person you might be a kid you might be uh, <laughs> you know someone who is <laughs> in their last couple of years you might be a single mom with five kids like you don't know and i think thinking about the various systems in that way is very very helpful and i think bitcoin is a system that is set up in this way that it's 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 like <laughs> michael goldstein described it as this mexican standoff of like three people of three parties and everyone has two guns drawn <laughs> pointing at the other persons and it's like you know that's how it stabilizes itself basically and that's a very um you know obviously satirical uh, point of view but it's also not entirely wrong and the 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 kind of the point is that it is a system where no single instance is in power it's like you know it's you have the miners and you have the nodes and you have the developers and you have like uh, you have uh, the way i like to phrase it sometimes is you have ideas code people and nodes and so you have like these four parts that make up the bitcoin system and and in the end you are self-sovereign because you can occupy every space every seat of the system yourself it's not a problem and you can always opt out so that's also something that makes bitcoin very very unique you know bitcoin is not democratic in the usual sense because you can always uh, uh like you, you can secede
you can you can say <laughs> i don't like what everyone is doing i will keep my bitcoin and you will be alone and you can also say i want to change it and then you again will be alone and i think that's very interesting understanding bitcoin deeply will give you certain insights into the system way of thinking of how you can set up governments for example as well like bitcoin has a governance system if you want to call it like that i i think i think calling it bitcoin governance I think it's a misnomer. I think it's, 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 we need a new word for it, <laughs> but it is similar. Like who is in charge of the system? And I think mm -hmm. that's, it also opens up uh, your mind to new possibilities of how to do things. Um, for example, in Bitcoin, it's, it's, again, it comes back to enforcement and, and those kinds of ideas. Like, uh, for example, if a judge rules a certain Bitcoin transaction illegal and he, you know, knocks down the hammer and says, this needs to be reversed. It's completely meaningless. It's like knocking down the hammer and saying, you know, like the sun must not go up tomorrow. It's, it's in, in the same arena of things. And I think that's what, that's, that's what a lot of the, um, more politically inclined people are missing, that there are some spheres of our world that just, um, work a bit differently than, um, political systems work usually. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think perhaps a more succinct way that I've, I could have formulated the question, I think would be one that I would pose to these people. And, you know, of course, I appreciate that a lot of times the initiatives or the perspectives that they're coming from are genuinely compassionate and empathetic and altruistic. Like they see problems in the world, let's, they see inequality and they say, if I were in charge I would want to fix that because I want to help those people. Now, I think there's an interesting question there. Like, what is the best way you could possibly help someone? Is it to give them something or is it to respect their own self-determination and, and free will, for example? Protection or empowerment. Right. Conversation for another time because that, you know, <laughs> that, that's probably a long one. But I think the, the punchline, the question that I would suggest that all these people consider is what happens to governance and what happens to politics as you understand it when theft is no longer possible. And you should meditate on that question because I think that that will, you know, the possibilities or the things that you think that apparatus can, can do will change dramatically if that statement were true. And I think it's going to become true as a result of Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I think the, you mentioned the book, The Sovereign Individual, and I think um, it lays out the thesis very clearly. And it's it's not a bad thesis, you know, it's not... <laughs> it's, no, it's not bad at all. It's, it's pretty damn good, actually. It, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting how, how just this little fact alone, um, that you can be self-sovereign when it comes to to your money, how this changes the power dynamic. And, uh, like to sum up the book, basically it's, um, uh, the, the individual becomes sovereign again and, and can, you know, change jurisdictions as, uh, at will. And in turn, jurisdictions will shrink in, in, in size and in, in power, uh, because every, like the financing has to be more voluntary, so to speak, like you, you have mm -hmm. to be uh, you know, yeah, the, the uh, jurisdictions become service providers <laughs> yeah. again. <laughs> and, 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 and just for everyone listening, when I, when I say theft, it's, I mean, either through coercive. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I highly recommend it though. But when, when I, for the non-Bitcoiners out there listening, when I say theft, obviously I mean through coercive taxation or through inflation, primarily those two, when 
when it's easy enough for an average individual to circumvent both of those or to insulate themselves from both of them, what does your political philosophy allow for in terms of the actions that you can take? And as you say, I mean, in that book, they make the case that you have to provide (laughs) value. When you can't steal from people, yeah. What do you have to do <laughs> you have to, to get their money? Yeah, you have to provide you value. You got to provide no value, money. baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so easy. You can sum and, up the whole book yeah. like to a synthesis. <laughs> exactly. And so if your politics, if your philosophy is not uh, aligned with that or does, does not take that into account, you may end up creating more harm than good. And I think that's a serious consideration for the, the sorts of people that have those sorts of ambitions or inclinations. But I'm, I'm, still, I'm still very, very hopeful because I, I mean, the obvious kind of comparison and the uh, one that I often make is the one to the internet. And the internet is also, you know, um, something you just had, you have to contend with it and you had to contend with it. I mean, I think we're in the past now, everyone contended with the internet in some way, shape or form, but, um, there is, you know, like there are certain implications to, uh, uh, regular people having access to information and being able to coordinate uh, very cheaply and very quickly and so on. And so that's just something that, uh, you know, all kinds of systems and also companies and also politicians and, uh, and the political apparatus in general has to deal with. And I think we are living through a similar transformation. Now it's just uh, in a little bit different realm. It's in the, the monetary mm-hmm. and financial realm. And yeah, it will be very interesting to watch this unfold, but I think you know, it, it, I, th- I think like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, uh, the next couple of months and years when I, I hope that we keep talking to the freedom fighters and the champions of democracy and, um, all the people that, uh, attended or were adjacent to the freedom forum. And I think Bitcoin has a very, very large role to play there. I think it, I think it's undeniable now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like Authoritarian regimes really don't like Bitcoin, and there is a reason for that. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like you know, you you don't want to give <laughs> freedom-minded people an option to use freedom-minded money. Like that's <laughs> it's not in the. It's usually not something you want to do if you're an authoritarian dictator. And yeah, it's uh, again, I think the cat is out of the bag, and this this is just undeniable, and it's very obvious that this is happening, and this is useful, and this is. Um, becoming well understood now and uh you know if you're still out there (laughs) writing about how bitcoin is just beanie babies and has no use or it's just pure speculation then you really need to read alex gladstein's book and i mean we also touched on the mining sector that's something like you know i I, i'm kind of reading three different books on energy and energy production currently and so it's it's way more intricate and, and interesting than i would have ever thought and i uh yeah i Obviously, I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, um, energy markets, energy production, it's its all a, a match made in heaven, so to speak. And it will be very, very interesting as well to speak with those people and watch the whole space evolve in the next couple of years. And just like, just to also um, point to something where you can see how the signal has separated itself from the noise, just look at any um, graph that... Uh, um, looks at proof of work, like any hash rate graph, like no other shitcoin even registers on the, on this graph. Bitcoin is hundred percent of the hash rate period, and so if you if you want to 
use state resistant self-sovereign money there's only one game in town there's only one game in town when it comes to the energy question and there's own like again energy is not related to issuance it's related to security and distribution it's uh, no a lot of people still have the misconception in their head that bitcoin mining produces bitcoin like if you if you if you use more energy more bitcoin will be mined that's not at all how it works like the the Bitcoin's issuance is set in time and you just help to secure the network and you help to distribute Bitcoin more evenly and more fairly by participating in mining. Yeah, totally agree with all that. And uh, I can't wait to, I, I think the um, integration between you know Bitcoiners and the freedom fighters of the world will continue. And I, I look forward to seeing what kind of relationships and solutions uh come off the back of that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome to speak to some of them on the show and, and learn more about this. And, you know, I think I speak for a lot of us in Bitcoin land when I say it seems like it's just daily epiphanies and your mind just keeps getting blown like every couple of weeks or months. And, um, if you're a certain way inclined, there's nothing more, uh, gratifying or enjoyable than being so intellectually stimulated because it's not uh you know it's 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 not just for the sake of it there's an actual reason behind it you're you're at least in some small way even if you're just doing it for yourself in your own life you're contributing to this solution being more available and more robust for more people and um you know to the extent that the show has played a role in that and to the extent that, you know, your work and the other guys at, on the team at CT have, I'm very grateful for that. And I thank you guys very much. And um, any last words before we shut this season three opener down? No, not really. Thank you, John, as well, for having these and enabling, facilitating these awesome conversations. Um, thanks to all the guests that were on. I, I enjoyed every single episode very much. And yeah, again, I look forward to continuing these conversations at the very front of this new horizon that we're all exploring. hundred percent. All right, brother. Well, I will speak to you very soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop. Aside from being a close friend, I consider Gigi to be one of the most insightful, articulate, and genuine characters in the Bitcoin space, which is why I've always really enjoyed our conversations and am extremely grateful to have someone like him to help me explore this Bitcoin thing, which has gripped us both so strongly. If you'd like to hear more from Gigi, follow him on Twitter at D-E-R-G-I-G-I -I, and find all his great writing, media appearances, and other work, as well as the ability to send him value back for it at D-E-R-G-I-G-I dot -I com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.